0: South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now, 210-599-5555.
2: And every Sunday morning's a little different. Frequently by this time, all four lines are taken. But Clint's the only one waiting right now. We'll be talking with him in just a second. But uh, if you want to beat those uh, busy signals you often get later in the show, you know the number. You just heard the number to dial. 210-599-5555 on this gorgeous Sunday morning. Here we are one day away from the beginning of May. And I have 46 degrees at my house up in the hill country this morning. It's uh, about 55 here in San Antonio. But I tell you, it is a beautiful morning. Uh, I know how good those covers feel, but it's not a morning to sleep in. It's a morning to get up and get out and enjoy because it won't be too long before we'll be waking up sweaty once again because summer's summer's just right around the corner. But, boy, enjoy this day while you can because it is absolutely gorgeous out there. Uh, You know, I hate keeping people waiting, so let's see what Clint's up to this morning. Good morning, Clint. Good morning. How you doing? Oh, you know, after a good rain and some pretty weather, it's uh, life looks better.
3: Good, good rain.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it about it's you know several days ago. I don't. I was out of town a fair amount last week, and when I came back, I had over an inch in my gauge. So I'm not sure exactly when it fell, but. uh, at least uh, avoided the big hailstones that a lot of people got around, and the small, small hailstones that even more got but uh there's that you know little moisture in the ground uh view I'm, I'm surprised you didn't get it. I was driving down to the valley a week ago today, and my gosh, there was a storm you know just south of us the whole way down, and getting down toward Corpus they got four to six inches but it's uh I, it's just nice to know it can still rain it's they're not settling into that uh, summertime high pattern when, when and the forecast is just the same every day, which is clear and hot. So let's just hope we get some more moisture in the ground before uh, before that kind of weather gets here. Oh,
3: I, was, I couldn't believe it. I was in San Antonio when that storm hit, and it was crazy, and I didn't get a drop where I'm at.
2: Yeah. I've been there, done that, but uh, I guess at some point uh, there was a pretty good cloud moved over because I got home that evening, and there were puddles in the road up to my house, and uh, I, it's just, you know, every day every day's a little different, but at least for now, the grass is pretty green. So I hope it comes your way soon.
3: i sure hoping. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> here soon, right, right before after I get my next rain, I want to do another uh, spray on the field of uh, con- like well, compost tea is one of them, but yep. the Medina Plus and a big mixture of uh, of molasses.
2: Yeah, yeah.
3: And is it okay to mix up a whole bunch of humic
2: acid, all, all three ingredients at the same time, or some of that be applied separately? You can mix all three of them together without any problem. The only limiting factor is that once you take your compost tea away from the aerator, uh, it's got a pretty short shelf life. So those other things you could have, you know, mixed in your tank and ready to go and just add your compost tea before you're ready to go spray but uh, that would be the only limiting factor. Molasses, uh, liquid humate, compost tea, all those things uh, are quite miscible, and neither one is going to have any adverse impact on the other. Like I say, the only, only th- can, real consideration is that compost tea is full of microbial life, which is what you know, because that's what you're making it for, and uh, you can't let it sit there for too long, especially when you're throwing in the molasses, which is really going to kick up the microbial activity, so uh i yeah, I get the other things mixed up and ready to go add your compost tea and jump on the tractor well
3: I, I jury rigged a uh, one of those twelve uh, volt converters, so I'm still bubbling as i'm I'm spreading it out
2: so <laughs> you're doing it all right but uh, uh just keep in mind uh once you add that molasses, you're gonna kick things into such high gear that your bubbler's going to have trouble keeping up. Well, I was going to do the,
3: molass, uh, the molasses compost, I mean, uh, the molasses, uh, Medina Plus, and the Hume
2: on its own application and just do the uh, molasses the tea on its own. If you've got, if your time schedule allows that, uh, that would be the ideal situation. But I know you're almost as busy a man as I am, and sometimes any time you can compress two or three activities into the same time space, it just makes life a little easier. But uh, if you've got the time to do it, that that would be the perfect solution. Uh, otherwise, like I say, just mix your compost tea in at the last minute and get to work on it. Okay.
3: Now, once you once you uh, take the bubbler off, how long? How quickly does all those organisms start to die?
2: You've got, you know, it's sort of a a slightly decreasing scale because some. Of your microorganisms Actually will go into a resting state Or a dormant state And then they can be reactivated later on Probably about 40% of them Are just going to die So uh, your compost tea is still going to be beneficial But after One to two hours away from the bubbles uh, it starts. You start losing Some of the active microbes That have no resting state Okay, one, one to two hours And yep.
3: anybody in town that can test the quality of the tea?
2: Um, it doesn't take a lot except a a good microscope and, you know, a little knowledge of, uh, of what you're doing. Um, you might – I I wouldn't know who to tell you. I, there's probably some biology teacher somewhere around that uh, would consider it a privilege to do so. Why don't you t- text uh, Bruce Dooley at natureapproved.com and uh, ask him if he knows anyone in the area because uh, – You know, Bruce has been in and out and lived down toward Alpine for a while and up in Comfort for a while, and I have to tell you, he he still texts me and we still talk periodically, but I'm not sure exactly where he is. But uh, um, he probably knows someone, or if he's out and about, he might very well do it for you.
3: Yeah.
2: I sure missed his show. I wish he was back on the air. Well, call him or text him because I know he does a podcast um, he's he's not on any live radio station at this point doing a live show, but I believe he's doing uh, one or maybe more than one podcast on the internet. And uh, I simply don't have all that committed to men, to memory. But uh, he still is, uh, to the best of my knowledge, he still is actively doing a show. It's just not going out live over the airways like I have the privilege of doing.
3: Okay. Of course, he also gets to
2: record his show and <laughs> and sit back and not have to get up at 3 o'clock on Saturday morning. So uh, it's uh, he's got some advantages going on, but uh, I know I'd love to gain you as a listener. And like I say, he'd probably be able to help you out one way or another with getting, uh, getting somebody to take a good look at that teeth.
3: And that's natureapproved.com?
2: Yeah, uh, it's, uh, let's see... I I believe that's uh, or Bruce Dooley at natureapproved.com or Bruce at natureapproved.com. Go to natureapproved.com and uh it'll uh um it'll get you there. If not get back with me and uh I'll I'll track him down. Okay. Now
3: uh, on the uh sticker burrow control, how much you make per gallon an acre do you use to help the control stickers?
2: I don't know that any really scientific study have has been done on that. I probably would go you know up to maybe five gallons an acre or something like that. You're never going to hurt anything with liquid humate. everything you know it just comes to be a cost factor as to how how much you can afford to put on there but um uh, as you probably know, you can probably get with Seward over at uh, Medina, and he'll put up some five-gallon jugs for you. And that's where I would start. Uh, you might also check in with him because uh, um, he I, – I would sure be interested to know exactly what his take is. I've got to call him in the next two or three days because uh, – uh, they're actually going to go back to doing uh, Festival of Flowers uh, this summer. I think it's the first Saturday in June, and I've got to, I've got to see if they can get Stewart on our organic roundtable, uh, like he used to do. But uh, anyway, I, he's he's the guy that I would call for the definitive word on that. But short of that, I'm going to look at probably five gallons per acre as being a good starting point, considering where you are and what your soil type is. Okay. And when it comes to coastal,
3: how hot does it have to be before it starts uh, spreading?
2: Um, Soil temperature, you would like that soil temperature approaching 80 degrees before it really starts jumping into high gear.
3: So we still got a little while, thankfully, in a way.
2: Oh my gosh. Uh, you know, that's that's everybody except the coastal farmers, you know, love these cool mornings and uh uh Bermuda is getting started. Uh, I'm seeing some you know, some growth on the tips of the runners, but it sure hadn't kicked into, you know, high gear and of course. Uh, <laughs> what was the old saying? If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Probably just about the time the rain totally cuts off. It's about the time the weather will get really hot enough for the Bermuda to start spreading. But let's uh, think positively and hopefully we get some good moisture as that soil temperature runs up. and Get some real good growth on that, both for people that are trying to get their fields sprigged and started and uh, guys that are hoping to get a cutting off of it before too late in the summer.
3: Well... <laughs> Being positive, I'm positive I got the divine luck with the rain. So,
2: <laughs> Well, Dan, on your part of the, of the area, I guess divine luck is a pretty good way to put it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, definitely. All right, well, I appreciate your time.
2: Well, it's always a pleasure talking to you. I've got a friend up lives down the road from me, and he refers to these storms as doing what he calls the Bernie split, and that's where the big storm comes straight towards you, and then it splits and goes around you on either side. So you can have your divine luck, and I'll put up with the Bernie split. We'll just keep our fingers crossed for the next good rain. Clint, you get out and have a wonderful Sunday. Take care. You do the same. Thank you so much. Um, let's see here. Yeah, we'll go ahead and take one more call before we do that first break. Looks like it's going to be Joey and Angie and Bill from the next three callers. So that would put Joey at the front of the list. Good morning, Joey. Good morning, Bob. How are you doing? Off to a good start. Gorgeous morning out there. Oh, it's
4: beautiful. Uh, say, a few months ago, I heard a lady call you. She lived up in the Bull Verde area, and you gave her a list of three different kinds of oak trees that would be that would do well up here. Sure. I'm trying to remember what they were. I want to say maybe like a bur oak and a Monterey oak.
2: Bur, you're two out of three so far. Throw either Chinkapin oak or Lacey's oak onto the end of that, uh, mm-hmm. and that'll actually give you four. Uh, bur oak is probably the longest-lived and slowest-growing. Of those, all four of those oaks are in what we call the white oak group, and technically any oak can get oak wilt, but you'd never know it with this group of trees. The fastest of the four is going to be what they call alternatively Monterey oak, Mexican white oak, Quercus uh, polymorpha is its botanical name, but that's going to be the fastest growing of the trees, and uh, the the chinkapin and the laces are sort of in between the burr on the slow end and the uh, Montezuma, or I'm sorry, the uh, Monterey. On the high end, but all four of those are oak wilt resistant, very tolerant of uh, um, you know cold temperatures and everything else. The Lacey's oak likes a little bit better soil. It it grows. I've got huge trees uh, on my ranch, but they're all down. Kind of in a valley area where the soil's a little bit deeper. When you start up the side of the hill, when that soil starts thinning out, you don't see them like you do down where the soil's deeper. So that's one you might either accept or reject based on how based on how much soil you have. Uh, but burr, the Monterey, and the chinkapan are all going to be pretty tolerant of most of the soils in the area.
4: Awesome! Well, I got pretty good soil out here where I live, so lucky you. Very good. Before. Yeah. Um, one more quick question. I have pride of Barbados, and then I have Esperanza, then pride of Barbados, and Esperanza around my septic tank. Yes, sir. And my pride of Barbados are coming back just a little bit, maybe like two or three inches. But
2: <laughs> I'd Esperanza, like mine.
4: Nothing. Uh, what do you, you think they're dead or they're only a year old?
2: Yeah. Did uh, were they mulched through the cold in December? Did you have some mulch around them? No, sir. I did not. No. Um, and how newly planted were they? How long have they been in the ground when uh, when winter maybe came around? Last June. Yeah, it's hard to say. Uh, I'm like you on the pride of Barbados. Mine, I was looking. Boy, the, the leaves are that dark reddish color when they come out. But right. mine are three, four inches tall. So I think they're right on schedule. I'd I'd give your I give your Esperanza maybe until Mother's Day, a couple of weeks from now. And uh, after that, I think i would probably plant a new one. It's it's one of those borderline ones. 20 degrees is not a big problem to it at all. 10 degrees is a big problem to it. And uh, in the future, you know, pile. it's, we kind of, you know, we always talk about keeping the root flare exposed, but on tropicals, on you know, things that could suffer from severe cold, we'll mulch them up three or four inches deep in the fall and then just wash all that mulch away so we've got the uh, lower part of the trunk exposed uh once we get back into a growing season so put that very definitely on your to-do list but uh let's give them a couple more weeks uh keep them well watered maybe even put a little super thrive in the water uh when you water and or maybe a little garrett juice something like that if they haven't shown up by mother's day uh buy your wife one for mother's day <laughs> and you get the, no Keep in mind the, uh, you know, the old-fashioned one, the yellow, uh, one will get, you know, eight, ten feet tall, but there's some incredible new varieties. And by the way, the yellow one, Gold Star, is the only variety to get on the yellow. But, uh, there's some new compact ones that only get to be about four or five feet tall. And boy, the colors range from an almost true red to kind of tangerine orange to gold with a russet throat. There's some just gorgeous Esperanzas out there if you got a good sunny place to grow them.
4: Awesome. Well, thank you for your time. I appreciate
2: it. Always a pleasure. Thank you for the call this morning. Okay, bye. All right, uh, let's take a quick break here, and then it'll be Angie and Bill. But I get to talk to you for a moment about Wild Birds Unlimited. Again, a wonderful topic to talk about because I just I love our Wild Birds Unlimited store out there at the corner of Northwest Military in Hebner. Just, I think, the best store in the whole network of Wild Birds Unlimited stores because they're all independently owned. And while they all carry top-quality products, all the gifts, merchandise, and the actual merchandising of the product is up to the individual folks, and nobody does it better than Kyle and his staff. I was out there, I guess it's been about 10 days ago, picking up some thistle seed and doing some gift shopping, and I just love to visit with them, because you I don't think you'll ever stump them on a question about nature, and especially about birds. They have the very best in feeders, many of them with a lifetime guarantee. They've got the good hummingbird feeders with the built-in ant stoppers. They've got some neat new stuff, some things that will prolong the life of the nectar if you don't have a big swarm of hummingbirds, so you don't have to change it quite as often and of course they always have the appropriate seed mix for the season plus all the suet cake and uh, it's just if you want to get into birding do it with the help of Wild Birds Unlimited because they've got the knowledge and the products but they're also a great gift store and you're going to always find new and interesting decorative things for the yard just lots of fun ideas lots of different bird baths and fountains out there it's just always fun to visit easy to find they're on the side that faces Northwest Military it's kind of well back from the road but so right there in the shopping center, uh, that would be the southwest corner of Northwest Military in Hebner. Give them a call if you have any questions. 479-BIRD. That's 210-479-BIRD for Wild Birds Unlimited.
0: South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071.
2: All right, my next two callers are going to be Angie and Bill. Still have a couple of lines open. Grab one if you'd like, 210-599-5555. And I say good morning, Angie.
5: Good morning, Bob.
2: Good morning.
5: I was wondering how to harvest my ginger and when, like, when to do it, how I know.
2: Well... Its ginger, of course, is an underground rhizome. Uh, there are many different kinds of ginger, and, of course, only one of them is a true edible ginger. And uh what it is, it's, it's just like a big thickened root, and, of course, it puts up the shoots off of that. The leaves grow on, and and periodically you can just dig up and harvest a piece of the root. Most people use; a, they make a special grater. In fact, I've been in restaurants where they actually bring the, the the ginger root out and grate it right in front of your sushi or whatever you're enjoying it with. So, um I, you can do it almost any time. I'm. I'm not a real specialist on ginger, but I don't think it really matters, you know, whether the ginger's in active growth or when it's in more of its resting state, considering that... uh in most cases, uh, unless you have a great big pot or patch of it, uh, you're probably going to dig it up, harvest some pieces of the rhizome to enjoy, and replant the rest. And that, of course, is best done while the weather's warm, the soil is warm, and the uh, plants will grow new roots and recover fairly quickly. But um, just when you feel like the your ginger has filled out its growing area well, you have plenty of good growth, which means you're going to have plenty of the back rhizomes to harvest and enjoy uh do just that harvest it and enjoy it in whatever form you like it's uh in my opinion an absolutely wonderful condiment especially when it's pickled
5: yeah and i have a tip if when you do have it you keep it in the freezer uh-huh. And then you just grate, and then you just grate it and it's really easy to use that way. Oh,
2: yeah. And I'm, I'm a, I'm a big fan of good sushi and things like that. So, uh, I, I do enjoy my pickled ginger with it. So, and it is easy to grow. It's of course can't be grown outside permanently because this type of ginger is not cold hardy. You're going to have to grow it in a pot where it can spend the winter inside. But, uh, it's certainly easily grown and, you know, a pretty plant in its own right as well as being very useful in the kitchen.
5: Yeah, I have mine like in a, I don't know, about a two by four box and I keep Uh it, I put it in the greenhouse during the winter and I bring it out and I just was wondering, I just can just dig up some little roots whenever then it sounds right. Yeah. Well, okay.
2: it's, it, it, of course, is not really the roots. Uh, um, you know, do you know what German iris or old, the, the old-fashioned flag iris look like that have that rhizome that's kind of on the surface of the ground and then yeah. the leaves and flowers yeah. come up? Imagine that with three or four inches of soil on top of it. That's what your ginger, the so-called ginger root isn't a root at all. It's it's a rhizome from which the other parts of the plant grow. Right. So uh, that I guess is probably a pretty good way to think of what you would be seeing if you could, you know, <laughs> had the ability to Superman's ability to stare through the soil and see what's underneath it. That's the kind of thing you would be looking at, and it's just portions of that rhizome that you're going to harvest to enjoy.
5: Great. I had a, I had a um, comment on. I know a lot of people were asking about like warmer weather lettuce, and then right. it's kind of right. rough. Well. I live down here in Atascosa County, uh, outside of Lytle, and I've had Uh good luck with the summer crisp lettuce. Have you ever tried that?
2: I haven't tried summer crisp. Um, that's, I, you know, some of the lettuces, they, they grow okay. They just tend to bolt quickly so you don't get as much from them. And many of them get bitter, especially if you don't give them quite enough moisture. But I'll I'll put summer crisp on the list to try. That sounds good.
5: Yeah, that one I can actually eat it all through. And I keep it kind of in a dapply shaded under my, I have a little bit of mesquite over one of my beds. And it uh-huh. kind of dapple shades it. And it grows really well in it. It's Not bitter, so I, I just maybe some people would like to give that one a try. It becomes well, like a mag, a magenta, and then like it just it has a couple varieties for three or and it's, I've had really good luck with that one. The well, warmer months.
2: Thank you for sharing. I'm sure lots of well, us appreciate yeah. that. Summer crisp, and uh, uh, we might say that's on Angie's list. Would that be correct? <laughs> <laughs> very very witty. That's that's, that's fun. Very good. Thank you so much. You're sure welcome. You get out and have a good Sunday, Angie. Thank you thank you bye all right let me say 30 so let me get a quick break in here bill and then you will be up next i get to talk about sam sitterley and green grow organics which is you know always a pleasure because i can't answer all the questions out there and sam's been doing this professionally for 30 years now and that's basically what green grow organics is they they do some things like compost tea application but More than anything, they're your consultant. They're your person that will actually come out to your landscape and look around and say, hey, this is going right, this is going wrong, this is what you need to do to make it better. Um, if you, you know, have questions about, uh, should I plant this here, or there, or up against the wall? And Sam's just got an awful lot of no- knowledge after more than 30 years in the business, and, uh, that's what he has built his business around. Check out the website, Green Grow Organic, spelled out G R O W. And, uh, it looks like something you could benefit from. Um, you know, give a call, set up a consultation, be sure you understand any charges up front. But, uh, some people just call him as needed, others have him come out on a Quarterly basis, maybe on a monthly basis. And uh, it's just that he helps an awful lot of people through South Texas. And we hear awful lot of praise for Sam and his staff. Uh, Peer Shades of Green, people come in and tell us all the time how much he has helped them. So if you're in need of somebody that could actually come to your home or your business and answer those questions for you, keep him in mind. Sam Sitterly, Green Grow Organics. <music>
0: South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071.
2: All right. Back to gardening on a just gorgeous Sunday morning out there. It's going to be Bill and Cheryl and Maria. Bill's up first. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Say,
4: uh, a few years ago when we were getting a lot of rain, I have a pecan tree and the leaves got so heavy and the pecans got so heavy on on the
2: limbs, the limbs you know just break (laughs) been a few years but i've been there too especially that's the one problem with uh desirable is probably the most productive pecan out there but it's also the weakest wooded one and it does break up i don't know if that's the one you have but uh um (laughs) i'd happily take a little pecan breakage in return for more good rain but uh, been a while since that happened yeah
4: yeah well uh since then uh I'm, I'm. I get a lot of sprouts on the trunk. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I guess there's. So, I guess there's so much. Uh, you know. The, you know the the sap uh, going up, and the tree that the limbs can't handle it now, and so it, they're just sprouting out on the trunk.
2: Is well, what uh, what often I, happens is it's just it's it's largely due to the severe drought, because. <clears throat> excuse me, trees, woody trees are interesting things. The cells that take the water from the roots up to the top of the tree are actually dead cells. They have no nuclei, and water moves through what we and, well, sap moves through what we call osmotic pressure. And when there's not as much water in the ground, uh, the, the tree simply, this, this physical thing, doesn't move the sap as well up to the top of the tree. So, yeah, you're, you're exactly right in your observation but that's the physiological reason that it occurs so you know obviously what we need to do is get more water to the trees one way or another and if mother nature is not going to do it for us I'd, I'd try to find a way to give that tree the deepest possible watering and um, because you really don't want the sprouts up and down the trunk you obviously want the growth up on top of the tree and you know above and beyond that of course be sure the root flare is exposed which i'm i'm sure you've done but uh yeah it's just drought more than anything else that's causing that but if we don't get some relief from it you'll actually have portions of the top of the tree can die out so uh answers mm-hmm. water and uh how how we get it that's the question
4: okay so there's not something i can put on it and stop
2: it, or just, I just have to cut them off. Right? Well, uh, you know, you just just find a way, if there's any way possible, even if it means hauling water. Get uh, yep. that most of the, the, the tree takes up most of its water uh, within 10 feet of the trunk, so it's not like you know, and I've got pecan trees that probably have roots all the way to the next county but you don't have to worry about trying to get all the way out to the drip line if you can focus on that area uh with a a circle with about a 10 foot diameter uh, just get as much water as deeply on there as you can and uh you'll start having fewer sprouts down low and get the get the growth back in the top of the tree which is where we want it okay good deal i can do that
4: um Another question I have for you is on Plumarius. Mm-hmm. I have some, I have some that, are, that has gotten so tall. Uh, <laughs> I, I just, something's got to be done with them. So I was going to, uh, you know, cut them off and, and plant them again. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, uh, I was told, this just doesn't sound right to me. I was told by someone, a nurseryman, um to cut the you know, cut the, the limb or the stalk, let it callus over for two or three days, mm-hmm. water it in, you know, plant it and water it in real good and then don't do anything with it for six
2: months. So
4: that
2: oh, just no. sell, I <laughs> all it takes to be a to be a landscaper, or nurseryman is a plastic sign and a pickup truck. So, uh, unfortunately, that's not been my experience, and that's not what I would recommend. About the only precaution I would give you, and plumeria, you know, roots with relative ease, but you don't want to do this cutting while it's in active growth because that new growth that's coming out, that soft tissue, it doesn't calibrate as well. It's more prone to rotting before it gets, you know, roots going. So if you and, and there's nothing wrong with starting, you know, a bunch of, of plants from what you have. Uh, the disadvantage to doing it, you can either do it right now before the new growth really starts, or you can do it later in the summer after the growth is sort of hardened off. Uh, the problem with doing it right now is you're sacrificing flowers, and if your plant's big enough that taking off some of the top of it is not really going to impact the blooms you have to enjoy, then, you know, do it this afternoon. Uh, but uh, if if you're wanting maximum flowers and maximum fragrance, then you're probably better to, you know, wait a while before you do But right now is an ideal time to do it. If you want to do one other thing that will really speed up the routing, uh, invest in what they call a propagating mat. It's kind of like the things they use up north, the electric doormats that have heating cables in them to keep snow and ice from Mm -hmm. staying on them. Um, The ones that are used uh, for propagating, they have like a a limiting switch, so to speak, so they don't get too hot. You probably spend, uh, to get a, a small one, you probably spend 30 bucks and it's a wonderful investment and whether it's you know getting you know bub started earlier getting lots of different things rooted or getting your plumaria to uh to really get those roots started having that warm soil having the warm base uh it's kind of it it takes the place of putting it in a warm greenhouse and it costs a whole lot less to keep a propagating mat warm than it does to keep a big greenhouse warm now when we get into you know brighter sunnier days that's not going to be an issue but right now like I probably heard me say it was 46 degrees in my house in bernie this morning and uh Plumeria doesn't really like that. Plumeria likes 86 degrees much better. So if you want to go one step further toward getting as many roots as quickly as possible, uh, invest in a propagating, mat to put your pots in. And with plumerias, I've never found it necessary to root in perlite like we do a lot of other things. Once those uh, cuttings have calloused for two three days, you can just stick them down in uh, you know good, well-draining soil, and uh, you'll be good to go.
4: Okay. Okay. Uh- say i have a a limb that's
2: um say three feet long
4: can Mm -hmm. i cut it in multiple pieces
2: and just take a magic marker or something and put an arrow on it so you know which way is up yeah that was that was
4: my next question I, i need to be i need to be aware of of how up which end is up
2: yeah that so to speak that's exactly right but no the the uh the outer end the distal end as we would call it is going to root and sprout most quickly but uh it's it's interesting the pieces further back um, I would go ahead and you know put them in in hori- or in vertically and they will sprout and grow. Some people will actually put them horizontally and in this case they're going to use perlite or you know a separate rooting medium but they'll lay them on their side and sometimes they'll sprout three or four places from the dormant nodes along the stem not done as much with plumeria as it is with things like Diefenbachias and Chinese evergreens but uh, if you've got a lot of uh, of limbs to root just for fun you know do most of them just like in a vertical fashion let me take one or two of them take a flat tray of perlite and lay them sideways sort of halfway buried and keep it moist and uh, uh you might just get a plant with multiple shoots coming up all at the same time well i'll sure try that because we got a lot of them so oh they're well, just one of nature's that- most beautiful plants and uh, you know kind of you can look out there and kind of pretend you're in honolulu or somewhere like that if you're sure that big Yes, sir.
4: Well, thank you so much. I uh, appreciate your help.
2: It's always a pleasure, Bill. Appreciate the call this morning. Thank you. Hi, uh, let's go ahead and talk to Cheryl. Good morning, Cheryl.
6: So, um, my hi, Bob. So my good morning. Bought a house. He bought a house up in Kyle, a new build, and the builder planted what we think are a couple of Monterey oaks okay um that's the same as mexican white oak is that right
2: exactly if you want to be botanical you call it Quercus polymorpha, which means leaves can take on many shapes which you will and he will discover as it grows but yes that's uh that's a good choice um and and kyle's not too far north you're not going to find a lot of north of dallas because they are a little more cold sensitive but he should do fine with them and kyle
6: Okay, good. Well, I have a couple of concerns, because he does have a small yard and they planted the trees. We measured from trunk to trunk exactly 11 feet 2 inches apart, and I have a Monterey <laughs> Oak, and I know how big it gets, so yep. um, they're small trees now, the diameters maybe an inch, an inch and a half on the trunk, mm-hmm. so we're trying to figure out, does one of those trees need to be moved, because what's going to happen with those trees that, that close together?
2: Well. You know, when you look around, uh, what nature does. I mean, there are places that ten feet in there, it's circle ten feet in diameter. I've got live oaks with you know six or eight or ten trunks coming up in in a small area, and it's not going to harm the trees in any way to be that close. The trees are going to be more one sided. They're not going to be uniform, beautiful, symmetrical trees that you're going to see in Howard Garrett's slideshow of beautiful trees. But it certainly doesn't harm the trees, and if he is looking to have just a, a really shady area, leave them alone. Let them do that. My tendency would probably be uh, to leave them where they are. If his yard needs another tree, then go with a different species. Go with a bur oak or, you know, a cedar elm or something else just because I like to see a little diversity. The only disadvantage is just going to be the trees are not going to be symmetrical, but as far as their health and their growth, uh, they'll be fine that close together.
6: Okay, good, good. So we did check to make sure that they that the root flare was exposed and it seems like they're they're not buried too deeply but
2: gold star for you for scared. doing that
7: <laughs> well, I listen to you, Bob.
2: well, I appreciate that, but no, be be absolutely certain and uh the root flare doesn't mean those little fibrous roots. It means where that trunk actually broadens out and you can see the major roots of the tree starting to go outward. So, yeah, if you've checked that, then uh at this point it's just fertilized water and, you know, and try to be patient while they get some some more size on them and keep in mind that with young trees, even though it's not the most attractive, thing, uh, it's fine to let little limbs grow all the way up and down the trunk. The technical term for that is trashy trunk. But everywhere you've got little limbs and leaves you've got you've got a little sugar factory feeding nutrients back into the trunk of the tree from the photosynthesis that goes on in the leaves uh, and it will make the trunks grow more quickly in diameter. What I do when I'm planting new trees in my property is I just, I don't cut the, the little side shoots all the way off but I'll go through every winter and I'll cut them back to maybe 6 or 8 inches long that way I'm not going to let them make major limbs and then I'll let that trunk get up to be 6 inches in diameter or so then I'll go ahead and cut those little side limbs flush back to the trunk. But uh, if he wants the biggest, strongest trees the most quickly, tell him to go ahead and let the little side shoots that come out on the trunks just leave them alone. Go through every winter and cut them back so they don't try to make major limbs. But that will cause you to have a bigger, stronger tree more quickly.
6: Well, I have told him that, but unfortunately, you can tell where they've the whoever it was that planted the trees uh-huh. already cut. Those well, back. The and branches, you, but, you well, can't put
2: them back on, but if more of them come out, <laughs> tell them it's probably a good right, idea to leave them.
6: Right. So, Mike, I do notice that there's like those little spindly roots that seem to be kind of circling around the, the mm-hmm. tree. Does that mean that they didn't plant it right?
2: Well, it means that they didn't, uh, you know, little spindly roots I don't worry about. Uh, bigger roots, uh, what they should have done is when they took it out of the container, it was growing in, probably a pot rather than a box at that size. Uh, they should have taken their shears and just gone down one side of the root ball and, uh, you know, cut everything so there wouldn't be anything making like a, a noose around the trunk someday. Little bitty roots I don't worry about, but... Uh, Um, if you feel like that might be an issue, you could take your your long-bladed shovel and just kind of dig a little hole out away from the trunk. You'll see where the original root ball was. And if you see, you know, a lot of roots that seem to be circling, just take your pruning chairs and just go down top to bottom of the root ball and just snip them and not a big deal. Fill the hole back in and you're good to go.
6: Okay. All right. Now, they do have those two guide wires that are holding them up. And I know you said that those aren't, good for the tree but no. I can move the tree side to side just very easily and I know it's storm season so mm-hmm. are you, do you still recommend removing those
2: that's totally that's up to point. you as uh, the, the, uh, you you're a good lister the trunk does need to move back and forth to give it that tensile strength but uh, in a real you know windy area I would have some sort of support for it that way the the best way overall to do it and you know wish for this was TV so I could show you but would be imagine taking two pieces of pipe or very heavy duty reinforcing bar and just putting one on each side of the trunk flat on the ground and then anchoring the each end of that pipe or that piece of rebar and this is going to you know just be pushing the the root ball down in the ground holding it stable so you know it can't rock back and forth in the soil and that's that's the really professional way to plant a tree but uh very few tree diggers actually do that and uh guying it up as long as the guy ropes are loose and as long as you're not cutting or damaging the trunk where they're wrapped around the trunk then uh wouldn't hurt to leave them on there for a year or so to let the roots really get established
6: okay and how often does he water and for how long
2: Uh, Water enough to soak the root ball thoroughly. He's got a little better soil than we do here, so I just lay the hose at the base of the tree, and there's no such thing as too much water, but there is too often. So when he waters it, he should really flood it, and then he should simply feel the soil right at the base of the tree, about an inch down in the ground. When that's dry, it's time to water again. How often that is will depend on how windy it is, how sunny it is, how hot it is. So there's no way I can tell you once a week, or once every three days, or whatever. Just needs to remember to water thoroughly when he waters, feel the soil when it's dry an inch or so deep, and then water thoroughly again.
6: Okay. All right. And then on a personal note, yesterday I was looking for nematodes. The place I went didn't have the... the Mm-hmm. sponges, so I bought the dry ones that I can uh-huh. waste my time
2: and money. You no, no, the live ones are better, but, you know, it's the difference in buying prime rib and uh, hamburger. Nothing wrong with them. You're just not getting the species diversity, and uh, you're getting only the ones that have that sort of dormant state, but it's better than no nematodes at all. And the, the live ones on the sponge are a little harder to find. That company actually changed ownership and location, and quite honestly, the new owners are having trouble keeping up with the demand. So, you know, we order 200 packages, and they send us 75. So uh, some people just don't have quite the stock they normally do. But uh, next time, do what you've done. Look for the live ones if you can, and use the others if you can't.
6: Okay, well, I like hamburger, too, so I guess
2: we'll <laughs> All right. You have a wonderful right. Sunday. You too, thanks, Bob. <laughs> thanks, Cheryl. Goodbye. All right, let's get a break in here. Maria is going to be next, but uh, I get to talk to you about Medina agriculture, and of course, that's such a pleasure. I've known Stuart and his family for so many years. Medina has helped so many people worldwide. I love the fact that uh, that they're really a humble family. Frank, uh, Stuart's not going to tell you about all the lives and all he saved around the world through remediation of chemical spills, through taking uh, toxic waste, and in one case over. In old Russia, turning it into a actually a fertilizer material. He's worked worldwide to improve the lives of people, and of course, he does a lot of work right here at home to improve the gardens and the ranches and all the soils of people. Always working with nature rather than against nature. That's the way. That's the reason I just love the Medina products, and uh, I do want to mention his newest uh, newest product, and that is the Growing Green 86. I'm sorry, 961. It's a higher nitrogen fertilizer with a different source. Uh, it going to green th- things up a little faster than the regular growing green. doesn't have quite the micronutrients in, so I think it's good still to alternate, but the best thing that most people find is it doesn't have any odor whatsoever to it. No manures in it at all, so it is a little more pleasing to the nose. And because it is hydrogen, uh, uh, it goes a lot further. You can crank your, your spreader down to a much lower spreading. Actually costs about the same For the amount of ground you cover, even though the initial bag is a little more expensive, uh, it'll go a whole lot further on your landscape, whether it's grass or trees or shrubs, whatever you're using it on. Just one more fine product. If you want to see the whole list, go to MedinaAg.com.
0: South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster, News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071.
2: All right, it's going to be Maria and Penny and Mark getting a little close to news time, but enough time to talk to Maria beforehand. Good morning.
8: Good morning. How are you today?
2: Uh, It's a beautiful day out there. Anybody not doing well today, we need to ship them off somewhere else. Everybody ought to be walking around with a smile this morning if everything else is good.
8: That is true. I got a couple of questions, Bob. My first one is I have a, I'm not sure if it's a honeysuckle or what. And I think i'm messing up by uh trimming it back in the fall it's a, it's a yellow bloom though it 's not the white bloom
2: yeah that's it's probably yellow hall's, bloom. yeah hall's honeysuckle and um it it doesn't really mess it up. You won't have as many spring flowers because lots of the blooms come out on wood that grew in the fall. But you haven't hurt the plant. It's a tough, hardy plant. It will come right back out. It's just not going to give you as many flowers or as much fragrance when you trim it then. Better to wait till after it's bloomed in the spring and then do your trimming.
8: Okay, that's what I'm doing wrong. And, and the other ones are a uh, follow-up on the questions you just had from the other, other callers. Okay. Uh, I heard you say about the new trees that uh, leave the lower leaves on when they're trying uh-huh. to grow. But how about the older trees?
2: Once I have that a tr- lot the
8: older trees that have the trashy trunk.
2: Once the tr- trunk gets up to about six inches in diameter, I go ahead and cut those off. Uh, we're seeing a lot of it because of the drought, but uh, they're not benefiting the tree as much. So I would tend to cut those lower ones off once that trunk is up to, uh, you know, six or so inches in diameter. Uh, then just cut them all the way back to the trunk. If it's live or a red oak, do be sure and seal those wounds. Other trees, you don't have to worry about it. Just go up right to where what we call the branch collar is. Okay. Okay. And my other one, it was uh,
8: about the humate for sticker birds we're uh-huh. still fighting sicker so really bad in our
2: hayfield. Is yeah. that a
8: liquid? Human?
2: Yes, it is. It is a liquid. If you want to hold on, we can talk about it a little bit more. But I've got to go to news right now, and I've got to say, this is KTSA Radio, San Antonio, Texas.
0: South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. Left open, and you can
2: grab it if you like. We're going to visit a little more with Maria and then with Penny and Mark. But, uh, Maria, we were talking about. the sticker burr problem, and I have to tell you, I have not personally used the uh, liquid humates on on pasture land. I just, uh, you know, on my fields, uh, whether it's just grazing fields or fields where I used to grow Sudan for the cattle, um, I have simply really reduced the stickers just by encouraging the uh, native grasses that are there. But in my yard, and I guess the area around my house is probably a little more than an acre that I have fenced, and I did have a bad sticker burr problem there, and I put down about half an inch of compost uh, in the fall, and I had like zero stickers the next spring. And in looking at it very carefully, we think that it was probably the humic acid that comes out of the compost that is what worked as a pre-emergent on those sticker burrs so i uh, it uh again uh and i'll be probably talking to Stuart frankie a little later this week but uh, i will ask him what their application rate is that they recommend uh humic acid for sticker burr control but uh i again when i was talking to my earlier caller i'm guessing probably around five gallons per acre but uh uh, let me let me clarify that a little bit more because I, I don't know if you get a hundred percent control like I did, but I know you'll you'll sure knock the problem way back.
8: Okay, and uh, I guess uh, that all, the weather is has to do with a lot with all the different weeds we're
2: having. Oh, my God. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the rain or lack of and the timing. Uh, the problem is that most of these things that we consider weeds, whether it's annual grasses, whether it's henbit, whether it's uh, spurge or whatever, they start growing a lot earlier in the spring than our other grasses do. And, again, with acreage, it's hard to do. But the best way to deal with the spring weeds is just while your main grass is still brown, which it has been the past two or three winters, as cold as it's been, you can go in and spray the vinegar orange oil mix, and it'll kill all those little green weeds that are trying to sprout without harming your other grasses. Now, you can't wait till your other grass starts to green up or you burn back everything. But uh, let me tell you, this is the year that because the temperature has stayed cool, and like I say I was in the forties at my house this morning. Uh, the weeds are still growing strong, but uh, the other grasses really haven't started growing much and and that's why we're seeing such a weed problem I, you know if they're already sprouted and growing your lawnmower is the best thing that you can do and <laughs> unless you can put a, a goat on a rope out there and let them eat it down but that that's why we're looking at so many so many weeds plus uh, even though we haven't had those deep, deep soaking rains, we've had enough rain to really keep the weeds happy this spring.
8: I know that uh, that there that thicker weed that mm-hmm. looks like a little tiny Christmas tree, but once you touch it it just burns your fingers forever. Oh yeah.
2: Yeah, that one of the thistles
8: come into my yard so bad.
2: Well, how how much growth do you have? What kind of what's your basic lawn grass? Do you have uh Saint Augustine uh, or Bermuda?
8: Bermuda. It's Bermuda. And,
2: if it uh, hasn't yeah, if it hasn't started greening up much, uh, put, put the vinegar and orange oil in a little pump up sprayer and could just go around and just, you know, one little squirt coating the foliage of the weeds. Uh, where the Bermuda's turning green, it will turn it brown, but it will turn green again. The Bermuda will come back out. It's not going to kill it. But things like, uh, your, your nettles and, um, many of your different thistles that one little coating the foliage with vinegar and orange oil will, will usually kill it completely and uh, those things if, if they're like the ones that I periodically fight, I wear a heavy elk skin leather glove and those damn little spines will go right through the gloves and get your fingers underneath that so yeah it's they're they're a real pain i i do a lot with a grubbing hoe because i can go around and just chop down once cut that root uh inch or so underground and then pull it out literally with tongs or whatever but yeah they're a real problem to deal with next next winter if it's cold enough to brown the uh, Bermuda out, be sure and spray early in the year with that vinegar and orange oil before your Bermuda starts greening up, and you'll reduce your problem by about
8: 98%. I've tried that three times already. Oh,
2: my gosh. I well, the house, gets,
8: Around the house, and it just, you know, we kill them all, and then we have a little bit of rain, and here they come again, <laughs> I
2: kill them all again. I've, tried,
8: I've done it three times. Well, uh,
2: again... You know, the seeds, they say one big thistle can make 500,000 seeds. And so you're just killing them. Then there are a few more seeds sprout. And if you can once really get them under control, keep them from going to seed, um, you will eventually get ahead of them. But it's, it's you know, an, an ongoing process.
8: All right. Well, thanks a lot, Bob, for all this information.
2: Yeah, it's always a pleasure, Maria. You get out and have a good sunny Sunday, and we will move on and talk to Penny. Good morning, Penny.
7: Good morning. How are you?
2: Uh, it's just a gorgeous, gorgeous morning. It makes me wish I could uh, drag this little broadcast unit out on that beautiful deck out there. But uh, I'm sitting here looking at a beautiful morning, and I can't wait to get out into it in a little while.
7: Oh, good. Um, so I have a couple of questions, but my first one is um, – I was picking some tomatoes yesterday and I can't remember if it was a celebrity or an early girl, but there was a black hole in the top of one. And so I came and I set it on the cabinet and then on the counter. And when I woke up this morning, there were like all these little, um, I don't know if it was larva, like they look like little tiny white larva worms all yep. around it.
2: Yep. And it probably, um, you know, it it could have been a a hole that a bird put in there and something else got into it. Or it could have been a beetle that, uh, you know, chewed its way in and laid some eggs in there. So uh, spray any time... That you have, you know, that you really start seeing anything like that. Spray some spinosad soap. It's totally non-toxic to you. It's not going to bother you a bit. But it's the best thing that I have found to take care of the beetles, the stink bugs, those other things that want to go after those tomatoes. Now, birds are a different story. But since you're actually seeing the larvae of something hatch out, makes me think it was probably a beetle of some sort. And uh, spinosad is is pretty effective and totally safe to use.
7: Okay, and that won't hurt the nematodes,
2: no, no, and nematodes okay. are down in the ground they're they're not going to be bothered oh. by it, even if they could swim in it, and it wouldn't bother them,
7: okay, and um. And then I also needed to know, I had spread the nematodes. Can I still mm-hmm. put DE down to keep oh, yeah. the scorpions yeah. away?
2: Yeah, yeah. The the nematodes are tiny. They are among the world's toughest creature. Their outer covering is something we call a cuticle. Uh, there are over 500,000 different kinds of nematodes. and. Uh, You know, some of them, you don't want to know where some of them live, but some of them live in high acid conditions. Some of them live in very, very harsh conditions. But you're not, other than alcohol or something like that, you're not going to hurt them with uh, anything you're likely to be using in the garden. And they just laugh at diatomaceous earth. They're not going to be bothered by it whatsoever.
7: Okay. And so after I spread them like all around my house? When they're done here, will they spread further in the yard?
2: That's a great like, question. Like out more
7: towards the property?
2: or yeah, That's a really good question. And keep in mind, these things are very, very tiny. And they mm-hmm. don't move very quickly. And they don't crawl. They swim, so to speak. So if your soil is moist, they will gradually move outwards. But it's not going to be a fast thing. And also keep in mind that the way they reproduce is by parasitizing uh some sort of insect, whether it's a flea, whether it's a grub worm, but they get inside of that creature and, uh in effect, have their young, lay the eggs, have their young inside of the creatures we're trying to get rid of. Once you have effectively gotten rid of all the grub worms and the fleas and the beetles and all the things that they would be able to reproduce in, then their numbers are going to start dropping off. So... uh Uh, it's like fleas every time i've used them it's been like two years before i had to use them again but by the time you know a year or two has passed then they've pretty much removed their ability to make more nematodes so you'll you will have to reapply at some point and yes they do spread but it's not a you know it's not a, a race they're moving pretty slowly to get to from your front yard to your front gate
7: okay that yeah because we we live out on some property and i'm worried about the fleas and the fire ants mainly right
2: well (laughs) and those are the things they will take care of and having had some moisture over much of the area they're sure going to be able to get around a whole lot better In real dry conditions uh Uh, they they don't move very quickly at all but uh, we've all been blessed with some rain at least recently so uh, that will keep them going that will keep them moving and if you have fire ants and things like that they've got a pretty good place there to reproduce and make lots more nematodes
7: yay um and they'll also they'll also work on getting rid of black widows too correct um,
2: keep in mind that they are down in the soil, and oh, your black okay. widow's going to be pretty much up above the soil um black widows uh they're yeah they they are they spend the great majority of their time i've seen them you know with more with a little bit of a hole down into the soil, so if they're down in the soil, they could potentially. Be impacted by the nematodes, but I sure wouldn't count on it. I, you know, just be very careful where you put your hands because you don't want to oh, yeah. deal with black widows. And but they are mostly you rarely see them really out in the open unless you've you know got an unused area. The place I see them is I've got an old hand dug well with a wooden cover over it, and you know I'll pick that up, and every now and then I'll see some down in there. But there's there's not much chance that the nematodes are going to do much against spiders.
7: Okay, and then one last question uh I had planted some cantaloupe back in like mid March and it's uh-huh. growing it's big, it's beautiful, it's got little yellow flowers all over it. How long uh-huh. before it starts producing?
2: Well, the first flowers that come out are going to be male flowers, and if you look, they'll have what we call pollinia—be sort of yellow area in the center of the flower. Uh, the next set of flowers that comes out will be the female flowers, and they look very different when you look into them. And if you look carefully, right at the base of the flower, there'll be what looks like an itty-bitty miniature cantaloupe, about the size of an English pea. Once you have the female flowers, and you still have the male flowers there to provide the pollen, then as those flowers get pollinated your cantaloupe starts to grow uh, cantaloupe is one of those things that the warmer it gets, the more quickly it's going to grow, provided that you give it good nutrition and water. So if you can tell me what the weather is going to do for the next two months, I'll tell you when you're going to be eating fresh cantaloupe. Uh, but they're growing okay. a little slowly now just with the cool mornings. But, uh, uh, if the vines are healthy, the flowers are starting, you're on the right track. They'll be happening pretty oh, soon.
7: Yeah, they look beautiful. They look good. Beautiful. I'm just excited. And then on crooked neck squash, how big do those get? I have some that they, when I touched them, they just popped off, but they were like five or six inches and that was it. So is that about normal?
2: Well... Uh, that is a good size to eat crookneck squash if you didn't harvest them you know they'll get tough and to the point that you can't eat them but ultimately they'll get 12 inches long and they'll get a skin on them that's as hard as leather while the uh, seeds uh, mature underneath i probably pick my crooknecks when they're about six or seven inches long at that stage they're really tender and really tasty but um, you can pick them at almost any size some people pick them much smaller and pickle them other people will let them get up but just Keep in mind, the bigger they get, the tougher they get.
7: Perfect. I appreciate you, and we enjoy listening to you every Sunday and, and, Saturday.
2: I, and I appreciate that. You get out and have a wonderful Sunday. Too, Thanks, sir. Penny. Thank you. Thank you, Penny. I appreciate it. All right. Looks like I get to talk to you for a moment about Rhonda's Nature's Way. And as much as I talk to you about the health of your garden and the health of your plants and animals and things, your health is the very most important of all. And, you know, I listen to all these commercials for all these different pharmaceutical products and all the warnings and the side effects Or you know, that's longer than talking about the product itself. Rhonda specializes in natural things, and she specializes in ways to prevent problems as well as take care of them. I tell you, your health is the most precious thing you've got, and with our diets today and with all the crud that gets sprayed on our foods, a lot of times we need a supplement of a good vitamin, you know, some different things to keep our immune system strong and to keep us good and healthy, and Rhonda can sure help you. Talk to her about your lifestyle and, uh, you know, any potential problems you have have, whether it's sleep issues or digestive issues or pain issues. They're natural ways to deal with most of these things, and they actually go after the cause of the problem, not just the symptoms. And if you're trying to lose a little weight, let me tell you, she's got some things that'll let you really enjoy some good, sweet flavor while you take those pounds off. And uh, she also practices reflexology, which is an amazing thing. She does the Beamer Light Therapy and Red Light Therapy right there in the location, and she and her staff are just so knowledgeable after so many years in the business tell you what i will tell you i feel like i enjoy my good health uh in part due to the help that i've gotten from rhonda and her staff over the years and i would sure suggest you go see them Talk to about just things you can do things that you can do to support your immune system and if you are fighting sleep or digestive issues or whatever they'll probably have some good suggestions to help alleviate those problems. She's closed today, always closed on Sundays, but open Monday through Saturday. The store is over in the shopping center there at the corner of I-10 and Callahan, kind of across the parking lot from Sprouts. Let me tell you, for your own good health, you need to go see my friends at Rhonda's Nature's Way.
0: South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071.
2: All right, let's get back to the phone lines. It's going to be Mark and Robert and Omar, and Mark is up first. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Bob. How are you? Uh, it's a beautiful morning out there. I'm good, and I'm going to be better when I get out into it in a few hours.
1: Yeah. I have a uh, 60-year-old pecan tree, two feet in diameter at the base, with a couple 12- uh, to
3: 14-inch limbs that uh, fell on the roof. Okay. I was wondering if you could recommend an arborist
1: or somebody who could help me out uh, taking it off the roof.
2: And what area are you in?
1: Uh, San Antonio area.
2: Okay, the problem with the good arborist is that they are, you know, very very busy, and uh, it's yeah. I I can give you a couple of good names. My my favorite arbor care company, especially if you need somebody with a lot of knowledge and a lot of skills, uh, Eter E T T E R Eter Tree Care uh, is okay. um, best best in the business. Uh, uh, if i'm remembering right six five four eight seven three three i'm pretty sure that's right number six five four eighty seven thirty three if they can't get to you as quickly as you need uh another company that uh does good work at a reasonable price is called tree t r e e tree wise men uh Jordy is who you would ask for there and uh okay. be- between them uh yeah they're the thing about them is that uh you know you know they're licensed you know that they do have insurance and they're an awful lot of people driving around with the chainsaw and pickup and with the crazy way things work in these country these days they fall off your roof and they sue you uh so be sure you're dealing with somebody you know with insurance and all but uh start with that Ed editor uh talk to jordy if uh, Ed can't get to you quickly enough
1: Okay. All right. I appreciate the information. Thank you
2: so much, Bob. You are certainly welcome. Thank you, sir. (laughs) Goodbye. Uh, Next in line is Robert. Good morning, Robert.
9: Good morning, Bob. How are you today?
2: Who could be other than anything great today? Unless there's some serious problem out there, people ought to be all smiles this Sunday morning, that's for sure.
9: Well, it's a beautiful day. We're heading back from a week at Port A, so
2: and well, I got my few days down in Port Isabel. So uh, uh, the coast is just, uh, as Jimmy Buffett would say, it it just takes takes the stress out of life for a little while. It's just coming back to reality is a little harder.
9: Yes, sir, I agree. You'd probably appreciate it. We had good timing. We happened to be at Fisherman's Wharf when they brought in a 747-pound black tuna or bluefin tuna. Wow. Biggest fish I've ever seen. <laughs>
2: There's a lot of sushi on that creature.
9: Yes, sir. Hey, uh, a plum tree question and a quick story that I think we're, we're hearing or we're sharing with you. Um, backyard, I've got two early producing peach trees. I have two plum trees. The plums are Santa Rosa and I believe a Bruce.
2: Okay. Every
9: year, the peach trees blossom, set fruit. Unfortunately because they're early this year I lost ninety eight percent of the blossoms Mm -hmm. to freeze, but most of them set. I'm usually thinning. The plum they're five, six years old at least in the ground. The plum Uh trees, beautiful blossoms, never set fruit. If I get three set fruit a year, I'm lucky. Is it just is there just maybe this is after the peach trees pollinate is it possibly just the lack of pollinators
2: that would be you know the most likely culprit and the the bees are suffering right now and um they, they do require insect pollination and, uh, uh, the quickest way to tell on that is to get out. Maybe you can't do the whole tree, but take your little, uh, artist paintbrush and just start dusting around inside. It's, it's not like squash and cucumbers that have separate male and female flowers. The individual flowers on the tree contain both the male and female parts. So, um, it 's just that the pollen has to be transferred to the to the pistil of the flower, the female part in order to get fruit set and uh, uh, if you 're not getting good fruit set or if you 're getting very very irregular fruit set and you do have you know two different trees in bloom at the same time. Then lack of pollination would be, would be the first culprit. And, uh, Santa Rosa is actually one of our few trees that's self-fertile. And Bruce is a good pollinator. If you want to plant a third one, plant a methyl. But it sounds to me like, uh, like you just don't have the pollinators. Uh, do everything you can to attract more bees. Plant, you know, fragrant nectar producing flowers. But, uh, get out there again. Spend 30 minutes with a paintbrush and you'll greatly increase the, uh, the amount of fruit you'll get.
9: Okay, I'll do that next year. And I usually put out mason bees, but I don't think they're active yet when the when those plums are. blooming.
2: And that's that's the size. biggest problem. Mason bees are among the best pollinators, but uh, when the nights are as chilly as they have stayed for the most part, bee activity is is just low. And uh, you yeah, will put out, uh, you know, create your own mason bee uh, little hives if you can. They're solitary bees; they don't live in colonies. But you can take an old cedar. I have, chunk have of ten of them. Ten you're doing it right.
9: Yeah, six-by-six rough cedar posts that I went to a buddy's house that had a large enough drill press to handle the six-inch cedar and Uh spent hours making the nest. So this is something of interest, I think. I I walked into a pest control supply company the other day to Mm -hmm. buy some termite bait stations, and the guy at the counter, the employee, was talking to a customer and I walked in at the right time to hear him say, well, I'm probably never going to use a pre-emergent again. And I said, I just have a bad habit of throwing myself into other people's conversations. <laughs> I, said, I said, you probably should have never used them in the first place. And he said "No, no. He didn't say no kidding, but he said something to that effect. Uh-huh. So I don't I didn't I didn't press the guy. I don't he this is a landscaper. I mean he's
8: uh-huh.
10: you
9: know licensed landscaper, buying product at a well known, you know, company. He he I didn't ask him what the chemical was because I don't care because I'll never use them, but he put right. down pre emergence last season and replaced several Saint Augustine lawns for his customers. Wow. And stated that it it almost put him out of business.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Just the cost in it, so just another reason not to use these products. Well, I'm with you 100%, and uh, I, you know, sometimes it takes a real kick in the chops to, to get somebody's attention. And I, you know, sounds like he learned the hard way and the expensive way. But the good news is, you just don't have to. And uh, if you understand what you're doing, they are natural products that will solve virtually any issue you've got in your landscape and uh, quite obviously people garden quite well for hundreds of years before you know quote modern that, that's just the biggest oxymoron in the world to me modern agriculture is uh <laughs> it's <laughs> anyway we, we we won't go down that road but uh at least at least maybe he is realizing the problem it's just some people just keep doing the same thing over and over and that 's what Einstein I think defined insanity as doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results but uh, I, I appreciate yeah. you bringing it up and um, but uh keep after it with you mason bees. Just keep in mind that while we love these cool mornings, it really does uh, decrease the insect activity but you know, again, obviously you're a guy that enjoys spending some time out in the garden and just when those things are in bloom, and it's take a few minutes. And it's, it's kind of fun to look the trees over carefully, be sure you don't have any fruit tree scale started. And uh, sometimes you see a lot of very interesting things with uh, creatures you haven't seen before. But I, it sounds to me like your principal problems are you know just lack of pollination if the trees are blooming well okay, especially well, the peaches tells you you've you got the right chilling hours there um and uh i, I think if you just got more pollination you'd have a lot more fruit
9: well we'll give it a whirl next spring sir we'll see you soon talk to you later
2: i'll look forward to it thank you sir <laughs> goodbye all right, guess we better pause here for just a moment and kind of shift gears, talk about, you know, I love talking about Rhonda and uh, and how, what all she does for your personal health, but it's also very important to have good oral health. In fact, uh, I think they say good oral health will add 10 years to your life, and good oral health means finding a good dentist, and I'm sure there are lots of them out there, but dentistry's gone a bad direction, just like medical practice has with becoming much more corporate, and with uh, dentists who may be good, but they're to get to the next patient. They're under pressure to see as many patients as possible. I'll tell you what, Dr. Mark Williamson is a guy who doesn't practice that kind of dentistry. Mark is probably the most skilled dentist I think I've ever known, most broadly trained, worked with Ed Staffel for the last few years of Ed's life, and he does dentistry, in my opinion, the right way. Takes time with every patient, wants to know you and your family, wants to truly understand your oral health, and help you stay in the absolute best of oral health. It's just a whole different experience. So many dentists will just refer out if it's anything more than a, you know, minor filling or just cleaning or whatever. And of course, uh, Dr. Uh, Williamson's office does those things as well. But he's, he's the specialist. He's the guy that can take care of really major oral health problems. And he does it in a very, very relaxed situation in his office. Uh, if you are uncomfortable with dental procedures, he still does the same sedation techniques that Dr. Staffel pioneered. But if you're new to the area, if you're looking for a new dentist, maybe yours is retired, and it's just time to find a new one for you and your whole family, check out Dr. Williamson and Associates. They're wonderful people. Offices easy to find out off Cherry Ridge, uh, northwest San Antonio, near northwest San Antonio. Give them a call. The number is 210-341-2569. It's 210-341-2569 for Dr. Williamson and Associates.
0: South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster, News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071.
2: All right, back to gardening. Uh, Jimmy, I guess Robert dropped off, so Omar's, Omar's next in line, is that correct? Yep, we got Omar and, and Don. Omar and Don in that order. Omar's first. Good morning, Omar. Morning, sir. Hello. Oh, Hi, Hello. yes, sir.
3: Hi, Bob, how are you doing?
2: I'm off to a good start. How about yourself? No, oh, we're rainwater tanks are full, and uh, we're we're rolling. <laughs> Excellent.
3: I just I'll, I got a bunch. So I'll be quick. Uh, <clears throat> onions are, are, you know, they're pretty much falling over right now. I'll go ahead and yank them.
2: If, you know, a lot of them just got beaten over with rain and things. If the tops are still green and they're not quite as big as you want, um, you can leave them a little longer. We're getting very close to harvest uh, time. but uh, And anything, of course, that has started to bloom, absolutely harvest those and use them. But a lot of them are falling over due to weather, not necessarily due to just the end of their growth. So uh, you'll need to make that call out in the garden. I would tend to probably... Um, maybe harvest a few of them But the ones that are still bright green That are not yellowing You can leave them a while longer if you want And get a little bit bigger bulbs
3: Got gotcha. you um, <clears throat> Leaf miners in tomatoes and peppers I have a friend of mine that is gardening uh, out, out Brackettville Way Mm-hmm. He said the leaf miners got him bad. What what is? I, I told him to start off with liquid seaweed, but
2: well, and you know that's probably a good suggestion. The truth is that leaf miners don't harm the production in the tomatoes that much. I mean, they make your make your table uh, your tomato look like a road McNally road map, but in truth, they they just don't do that much damage to the plant. So this is not pull up and start over or anything. Best thing to do is, uh, again, just stay completely organic in the garden. There is a little parasitic wasp that uh, I've actually seen the microphotography of this guy walking back and forth on the surface of the leaf finding where the leaf miner is laying an egg through the leaf into the leaf miner which gets rid of it Uh, believe it or not Walt Disney World was uh, the place where they really pioneered this research and Disney and their usual capabilities uh, recorded some amazing footage of it. I don't know that that particular species of wasp is available but typically in an all organic garden you will Have a lot of those little wasps around to keep the the leaf miners under control. The other thing is, early in the season, pick that leaf off anywhere you see that little trail because this little creature, you know, burrows back and forth through the leaf for a while. Then it drops out through the bottom of the leaf into the ground underneath and reproduces there. So uh, use your beneficial nematodes periodically. That will also really reduce the chance of sort of reinfestation, so to speak but um I, my advice to him would be just stay all organic maybe early spring and again just before uh just about the time the tomatoes are planted put down the uh, live beneficial nematodes and leaf miners should really be a <laughs> not to make a horrible pun but they should be a minor problem spelled slightly differently
3: <laughs> gotcha okay and uh i haven't had real good luck with the the you know vinegar and orange oil but i'm going to give it another shot tractor supply I saw the other day's got gallon jugs of thirty percent yeah and I, if can you I cut if, that in half and do
2: fifteen uh you can cut it two to one if you want i'd still try to stay at twenty and just remember the hotter it gets the faster it works now handling that thirty percent vinegar be sure you're wearing your rubber gloves and your eye protection because uh, uh that's the reason i'm i'm not real strong on stuff that's above 20% but um yeah I, again you can cut it uh, 2 to 1 if you want but i i wouldn't drop below that 20% uh, mark especially if you've got some really tough weeds out there got gotcha, you got gotcha. you the All other right, thing to remember to of you. course so- is the uh, is is that you're only coating the foliage. Uh, it goes a long way. You can go ahead and use the thirty percent if you want to, but uh, just you know, just don't waste it. Just uh, once you've coated the leaves to the point of dripping off, that's all you need to do, and a little bit of it goes a long way. So, uh, and and do it in the hottest weather you possibly can. That's where you'll see the fastest and most efficient results.
3: Got gotcha. you. Okay. Well,
2: I certainly appreciate it. I appreciate the call, Omar. You get out and have a great Sunday. Thank you, sir. You too. And thanks. Bye. All right. uh, Don is up next. Good morning, Don. Good morning, Bob. Got a question for you. Okay.
11: Does the onions, I I have my uh, raised bed is just about full, and I've got a second crop of onions that I'm fixing to put out. Will, if I plant them around tomatoes, will the tomatoes shade them out too
2: much? I guess it all depends on, you know, how thick your tomatoes are. I I don't think so. Most tomatoes tend to lose some of the lower foliage as we move later into the summer. Uh, the bigger biggest problem is, of course, is your onions may want to bolt and, you know, go to bloom before they really get much size on them. But, uh, no, I don't think I'd have any problem planting them around the tomatoes. Okay, because I
11: planted off 800 at the neighbor's place, and I still got 200 <laughs> left.
2: <laughs> well, just don't mess up the roots on your tomatoes too much putting the onions into the ground. they uh, I mean, you can plant them in flower beds. You can plant them anywhere that has fairly good sun. And there's, in my opinion, there's just no such thing as too many good onions. So uh, uh, go for it, and if you if you want to plant around other things in the garden, I don't think there would be any interaction whatsoever. Okay, next question. I'm still battling heavy clay in my
11: field garden in the back. Uh-huh. What's the best way to try to get cut down on the clay? Because when I go to water and I'm trying to break seed through the ground, i got to water at least three times before they break.
2: Yeah, yeah. The, the, you need to remember what nature does, and it's things we can't see. There are soil bacteria that literally – take, and this is on a microscopic level, they pull those clay particles apart, and they stitch them into a network with something that, the uh, technical name of it is sticky substance, and they're just opening it, opening it up into little microscopic cells with room for oxygen to get in, which just increases microbial growth that much more. And helps your plants, and uh, it doesn't happen overnight. But anything that stimulates the microbes is going to work on softening the soil on a permanent basis. So anything sugary, molasses, or old Malcolm Beck—you got the Coca-Cola company to start sending him all the old out-of-date sugary Coke product that uh, they hadn't gotten used up. And so anything that stimulates those microbes and molasses is kind of high on the list. uh, is a is a good way to do it. Medina Plus is a, and also what the Medina Plus is just an improved form of the Medina Soil Activator that brings in a lot of the micronutrients that those bacteria need. But long term, it's not a physical thing. It's not mixing sand, which just makes the ground harder. Uh, Mixing some compost in will help, but what you're really trying to do is kick up the microbial life so that the, especially the soil bacteria, take over and start literally building a more porous open soil. Then, you know, nature takes thousands of years to do it. We're able to speed it up somewhat in the garden, but it sure doesn't happen overnight.
11: Yeah, because I've been spraying a lot of Medina product and and then going through and spraying it in, chiseling it in, and then buying the neighbor's rotor tiller attachment, putting on the tractor and blending it all in.
2: Well, I wouldn't, I I, yeah, I wouldn't overdo that, Don, because, uh, when you bring your organic material up on the surface of the soil, uh, then it oxidizes and goes away. That's one of the things that has destroyed the soils in this country, uh, combination of synthetic fertilizers and over tillage in the corn belt and places like that. Too much tilling is bad for the soil. So I, I would work on, you know, if you want to find a way to kind of, Drill something in, or, you know, use a, a core aerifier kind of thing. But, um, and, and your Medina Plus is an outstanding product, but if you want to make it that much better, add some liquid molasses to it, uh, at least a couple of tablespoons per gallon, and it will sure make it a whole lot better. But let it, let it mainly work from the top of the soil down, because, like I say, every time you turn the soil over, you're losing a lot of that good stuff back into the atmosphere through oxidation. So, uh, uh, don't don't over till and if you do till do only the surface layer of the soil. Okay, next question is
11: what's your opinion between 30% shade cloth and 40% shade cloth?
2: Depends on what you're growing. Um if, you know, in a greenhouse situation, uh you may want to go as much as 70% shade cloth. Uh if it's out, you know, just as a summertime cover in the garden or a lath house or something like that, in most cases, 30% is going to be plenty. If you're growing things that are a little more sun-sensitive, then 40% is not that much different. But um, uh, it just—it really depends on what you're growing underneath it. Just be sure you're getting a knit shade cloth rather than woven. And I have the companies that make it actually sew grommets into the edge so it's much easier to put up.
11: Yeah, because right now I've got two 20x50s, and I'm getting ready to order another eight of them. To try mm-hmm. to cover a hundred by hundred in the field area, because some reason down here in in the vine area, it gets hotter over here. <laughs> it, it, well, it gets everything down bad.
2: Yeah, uh, I'll tell you what you you might look at and do this. Don't don't do the whole hundred by hundred area, but if you want to do an experiment, uh, look for a shade cloth which is called Illuminet, Aluminet A L U M I N E T. I don't think it's going to have quite the life that your old black polypropylene shade cloth has, but it not only creates the shade through just you know filtering the sun out, but it reflects a lot of the heater heat back away from it. It's what I have on my greenhouse. It's what A lot of people are going to, and like I say, I don't think it's going to have the real long life. But uh, if you want to experiment with something and just, you know, see how you can knock the temperature down, take a look at Illuminate. It's a little pricey, but... uh, um, you might find it would help you. At least, uh, in fact, you might even alternate it with regular shade cloth. But uh, I feel like they say it can make as much as 10 degrees difference in a greenhouse, and uh, uh, so it certainly work in a field application as well. So check it out. It's it's a good product and used in the right way. Yeah, um, my
11: doctor tells me stay out of the back garden because the only things are going to find me is going to be the buzzards, and I'm back out in the garden again. <laughs>
2: Well, just wear that broad hat and an appropriate sunscreen. But check out Illuminate. I think it might be real interesting to you. All right. Thank you very much, Bob. Always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Goodbye. All right. Let's get a break in here, and uh, I get to talk to you about the window source of San Antonio. Let me tell you what, it's just I I love it when I encounter someone who does business the right way. And Moses and his crew, they've been doing this for 10 years. He's had his own business for five years. And they are dedicated to excellence. That's just the best way to put it. They use the best quality windows and doors. Many of them, in fact, most of them, made right here in Texas. They do incredible work when it comes to installation. And what really sets them apart, in my opinion, is the warranty they provide you with. Uh, no, just about everybody who sells windows and doors will tell you they're giving you a warranty, but if you read the fine print, probably doesn't cover labor. Probably doesn't cover glass breakage. Well, Window Source of San Antonio includes all of those things in their warranty and it's one reason that their business has grown a great great deal they want to introduce everybody to the things they do they've even got a special going on with eight double hung white windows uh uh, at a very good price, but uh, just if you're if you're planning to do window and door replacement, this is a major project and it's not going to be cheap. So get some appropriate bids, but be sure you include the window source of San Antonio and those people that give you a price and look carefully at the warranties they offer. I think you'll be as impressed as I am, and I think you'll make the right decision. But window source of San Antonio, they do windows, they do doors, they do some guttering. Uh, their showroom is over in Southwest San Antonio, and they welcome you to visit. And they answer the phone anytime to help you too. It's 210 879 4433. 210 879 4433 for the Window Source of San Antonio.
0: South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All
2: right, let's get right back to the phone lines with Glenn being up next. Good morning, Glenn. (laughs) Bob, good morning. Morning, sir. It is. My
10: goodness, what a beautiful morning! <laughs>
2: we use a lot more of these.
10: I have two questions uh regarding soil amendment that I have here on my place. Uh, okay. Appro- approximately five years ago, I was fortunate enough to get the guys uh, trimming the trees off the electrical lines. They dumped a uh-huh. whole truckload of their wood chips here, and I've I've been using it and. And over time it's degraded and I've probably got I don't know between two and three yards left of, of pretty much what I would just call wood chip dust. I mean there's small particles in there but mm-hmm. it's pretty much just fine fine dust. Can I and if so, how would I incorporate that into my into my garden?
2: Well, The best thing to do is to use this mulch on the surface and then just gradually work it in as you plant. Uh, Otherwise, you know, you're looking at tillage to get it in, which, like I was just telling a previous caller, brings up a lot of good stuff that gets oxidized on the surface. Plus, if it's not just down to the point of looking like dirt, uh, it uses a lot of energy. The microbes do to continue to break it down. And once you get below ground level, the only place they get that energy is stealing it from your fertilizer. So wherever possible, I would use it as a mulch on the surface, which is going to conserve moisture, going to keep the soil cooler. Going to do a lot of good things, and then just gradually blend it in as you're, you know, planting your crops, whether it's row crops or whether you're planting individual plants, and that's how I would use it. Yeah.
10: Well, at, at this point, it is pretty much dirt. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I had to, I had to actually go buy some more mulch that I'm using Mm or the surface around the plants, but this is just powdery, pretty much powdery.
2: Well, again, if, if you want to mix it up to make a potting soil or something, but, again, I just hate to see you really breaking up your soil. Listen, let's continue this conversation. Jimmy will put you back on hold, but I've got to get out of here on the second for news. And also I need to say this is KTSA Radio.
0: South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555.
2: And there is one line open, so uh, you can go for it if you like. 210-599-5555. I'm going to visit a little more with Glenn, and then E.T., and then Joy. But... uh, uh, you know, Glenn, back to back to this well broken down wood material. Uh, again, if you were creating a raised bed, if for whatever reason you know you actually needed to blend the soil, it sounds like it's to a point that you could do that. But you know, I always go back to what Malcolm Beck always pointed out: the way that always look at what nature does, and nature rarely blends things. Nature improves that soil by continuing to pile more and more and more organic material on top of the soil and let it, as it breaks down, it's releasing humic acids, it's releasing a lot of good things into the soil underneath. So uh, anywhere that you're going to be working the soil anyway, it sounds like it's to the point that you could blend it in, but uh, I, I just hate to overwork the soil because so many good things oxidize and go away when you take them from down deep and put them up on the surface.
10: I got you. Okay. Well, yeah, it sounds like I could, I could, uh, just broadcast a fair amount of it. I might try a little bit of it in the garden and just see what happens. But then, sure. My, my, my second question, uh, every now and then I run across on YouTube a video that kind of. <laughs> I, I knew you I knew I was gonna
12: get that reaction. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> Every now and then you find something worthwhile and a lot of it's pretty laughable, but as long as it doesn't cost well, a lot of money. Tell tell me what you're you're intrigued by at this point. This, this this old guy and it
10: sounds like a good idea, but uh anyway, he he did a video on leaf mold that you can harvest from underneath your trees. And I got we you know, we've got a lot of a lot of oak trees out in our Uh pasture i got out there and did what he said i raked back the you know the latest layer of leaves and i mean uh, excuse me underneath there there's a good you know quarter to half inch of what uh, you know just looks like wonderful compost of course oh it is
2: yeah it is
10: one source so uh you know out of about 10 square feet i can get a five gallon bucket of that stuff and then i rake the leaves back over it but i just wanted Uh to get your get your feedback on that because we you know we've got a lot of a lot of areas where i can can harvest that stuff so to speak
2: well, I, again, there's nothing at all wrong with that. That's Mother Nature making compost, and uh, you know, and and you're doing it right because you're getting material from your area. Unfortunately, a lot of the stuff you you know you buy, which is uh, bagged, if it comes from a different part of the country, then a lot of times you know there are different microbes, there are different things that are not going to be nearly as much benefit as what you're harvesting right here at home. Now, you know, if if you're big go live oak trees had the ability to do so they'd probably dump a limb down on top of you for taking that stuff away because they're very much benefiting from it but as long as you're not going through and just scraping the entire area because that's one of the things that's keeping your live, your live oaks good and healthy and you know looking good even in the face of severe drought so don't take all of their you know material away but taking a little bit of it to incorporate in your own garden it's it's better than anything you can buy i'll tell you that for sure
10: well, that's, that's good news. And, yeah, that's what I'm doing. You know, I'll get about a, a, a,
4: like I said, about
10: a 10-foot square area, get a bucket out of that, and then I'll move mm-hmm. 20 feet, 30 feet away into a different area. And, and like I say, I'm just barely suppressed the service.
2: Yeah. Well be, be sure that the live oak karma knows that so it doesn't drop a big dead limb on your head for trying to take it away. But no, it's yeah, it's it's a fine product and uh you know, it's it's what people in the gardening and horticulture business uh did for many, many, many years before we came up with commercial sources of things that aren't as good as the original stuff. So, you know, nothing at all wrong with what you're doing.
10: Well, wonderful! That's great news.
2: I appreciate the input. Well, it's my pleasure, and I hope you get out and have a wonderful Sunday out there. Thanks, Glenn. Well,
10: I'm out. I'm I'm sitting within ten feet of that mulch. I was. About. <laughs> anyway.
2: Well, I'm going to take away all your excuse for sitting there and recommend you get up and go to work before it gets any hotter. But uh, always a pleasure visiting with you.
10: I've been finishing up on my radishes and harvesting those, and I actually found a turnip mixed in with them. So <laughs> you never know.
2: You never know is right. Well, listen, I'll let you go, and uh, Jimmy, let's talk to E. T. and then we'll talk to Joy. Good morning, E. T. Morning, Bob. How are you today? Off to a good start. It's just a gorgeous, gorgeous morning out there. Reason we live in South Texas.
1: Okay, I got a question. Oakley,
2: are they aesthetic? um anything that you know decomposes is going to produce a an acidic material that's going to produce what we call humic acid uh they are not as acidic as something like pine needles but um and and there's nothing out there that is really high high acid uh, uh pecan leaves are a little bit more acidic because they have uh you know a little bit more different acidic materials in there. But, uh, yeah, oak leaves and and all the leaves in this area are very, very mildly acidic. None of them are are really strongly acidic. It's all, you know, acidity is measured on a logarithmic scale called the pH scale, and we won't even go into detail on how that works. But, uh, yes, simple answer to your question, Uh, live oak leaves are acidic but not highly acidic.
1: Okay, because, like, years ago I made a leaf cage, And I've Mm -hmm. flipped it over and over and over, you know, over the years. And now, like that last gentleman there, i got basically dirt.
2: Uh, It's wonderful material. Put it on the surface. If If you're making a soil mix to use in pots or raised beds or potting soil of any sort, incorporate it in there. Otherwise, just put it on the surface of the ground in water, and your plants and your soil will love you for it.
1: Okay, now the question. My cannas and the oars that we have out in the yard, the cannas from last year drought and the deer munching them all the way to the ground, they do uh-huh. not seem to be coming back.
2: It's really, just... It, back,
1: or is it too early? Oh,
2: yeah. No, they'll come back. Cannas are... Yet much more cold hardy they grow way north of here they're very slow because of these cool mornings and because the soil is still so cool i i look at we've got some in beds here around the nursery and the ones over where they get that hot afternoon sun they're coming up really well the ones that are more in the shade are real slow coming up but uh, there's nothing wrong with the plants. Uh, there's just these cool, cool mornings are slowing them down a little bit. When we get into the weather that's uncomfortable for you, the cannas will love it, and they'll come racing back. Don't worry about them. They're, yeah. I'm sure they're fine.
1: I was worried about because of the drought from last year, and the deer had nothing to eat, and they just you know, they just ate them to the ground.
2: So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and deer don't normally eat cannas. They actually have some mildly toxic materials in there, but poor deer around are just so hungry they're eating anything. I very definitely, if you haven't already done so, I put a little fertilizer out. Same stuff you're using on your grass. Any good organic fertilizer will help them come back stronger And if the deer are still around, you know, put a little cage, put a little wire, something or other that'll slow them down so they don't eat that new growth coming up. But uh, you give them a little protection. They'll be, they should be sprouted and growing well within two or three weeks. They should be back in bloom in another month or so.
1: Same as the horse herb.
2: Ah, uh, Yeah, I don't know anybody. That's try it well. I do know a few people trying to grow it. But, uh, um, again, in cooler areas, a horse herb is slow. But, boy, in the sun, I've been pulling out a lot of it out of the flower beds. And so, uh, yeah, the the sunnier it gets, the warmer the soil gets, the more it will grow as well
1: because I had a section under the, under a mesquite tree, and year after year it's always growing there, and this year's still nothing yet. So.
2: Well, it's just it just involves temperature. Now that we've most areas have gotten a little bit of good rainfall, it will very definitely be coming back, but it, it's just slow because of the cool nights and the cool soil.
1: Okay, one last cra- a cabbage. A while back I was chopping up some cabbage, and I took mm-hmm. the car, and you know some of the you know the really hard stuff and stuck in a flower with some dirt. And it seems to be coming back, and it seems to be forming ahead, will it?
2: <laughs> it won't it won't form the big head that you harvested the first time, but uh it has the potential to kinda of be like a uh Brussels sprouts plant. Yeah, it may it may form another small head, but uh as the weather gets warmer it's not gonna be nearly as tight a cabbage head as you're used to. But I guess we might call it a leaf cabbage. Uh if you want to harvest it and make slaw out of it, uh more power to you. It'll be just fine. Just don't wait too late because the hotter it gets the more bitter it will get and uh, like I say, it's certainly not going to be as big and beautiful as it was first time around but uh, it may surprise you may may make some little Brussels sprout sized cabbage heads for you
1: Good, alright, so I'll be ready then. Okay, Bob, I thank you very much and you have a very pleasant day
2: You do the same, E.T. It's good to hear from you Thank you, sir Alright, Joy, hang on just a second uh, We need to get a break in here so we don't get behind We'll be right back with more gardening
0: South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster, News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071.
2: All right, (laughs) back to gardening. Looks like we've got three J's in a row. We're going to have Joy and James and John. Joy is first in line. Good morning, Joy.
13: Good morning, Mr. Bob.
2: Good morning, it's Joyce, I can tell. <laughs> yeah. Joyce with oh, a voice full of joy. That's uh, that's a good way to start the day. We just, just for talking about you yesterday, as a matter of fact, and hoping you're doing well.
13: Well good. How nice of you. Thank you. And I want you to picture this the next time you're cuddling little Mr. Max. And that is the kitty said to the doggy, Cats are smarter than dogs and the dog said, How so? And the kitty said, Have you ever thought of hitching eight cats? to a sled <laughs> <laughs> the visual
14: is terrific <laughs> the
2: visual is very very good it most certainly is and uh yeah maxwell would turn up his notes at that in, in a in a heartbeat but uh hannah might go for it so you know <laughs> it's just just good good humor out there so how can i help you this beautiful day
13: well, my question is about, I have an old disintegrating 10-inch, used to be a hanging basket pot that's sitting on the ground. Okay. And two years ago, I threw some amaryllis seed and some dwarf pomegranate seed in there. Uh-huh. And I, I protected it, and I have about five lovely little golf ball-sized amaryllis. Uh, they never froze back. And one dwarf pomegranate
2: growing in there. <laughs> <laughs> you're 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 an outstanding gardener. I don't know anybody who grows amaryllis from seed, but uh that's wonderful. Well,
13: I'm interested to see if they'll come close to what the beautiful original was, uh-huh. and that is the pomegranate. It's a, it's about 18 inches tall. and all things, it's blooming, just putting uh-huh. blooms out all over. Now, I want to separate those, and they're kind of – I, I don't want to lose either one. The, I'm not trying to separate the amaryllis bulbs, but I would like to get the pomegranate on its own because I really like that little dwarf tree that, that came up from that one bulb and it's blooming. It's so cute. But when, I mean, it doesn't have to be done now because the pot's just sitting there. But when would be the, I probably should have separated the pomegranate earlier in the season, but then I was afraid I'd hurt the amaryllis But <laughs> How can I do this? It's on the edge of the bulb, so I, I have to sure. tipped it out to see if I can pull them apart. But what would you suggest?
2: Well, you know, two different Two different times are going to be best. The middle of the summer, exactly. while it's really hot, that's when I would try to, you know, the amaryllis are probably going to pretty much lose their, their leaves, go into that normal dormant state when we get along toward July or August. And at that point, I would separate them out. I'd probably put them in their own individual pots. We might not be as lucky to get through the next winter. So uh, um, you're you're going to have... Interesting flowers. It's always that's, that's why we grow things from seed. I mean, with tissue culture, we can take a wonderful plant and make thousands of copies of that same plant, but we never get anything new. When we do seeds, of course, we're getting cross pollination. We're getting a, a mixture of genetic material, and you just never know what you're going to get. Most of it's probably going to look like the parent. Some of it's going to be a little worse than the parent. Some of it's going to be a little bit better better than the parent. So, I will tell you you're probably looking at another year if they're golf ball sized now some of them could bloom this fall but most of them it's probably going to be two years out but this summer when they go into that semi-dormant state that's going to be the time to separate them out the pomegranate on the other hand it likes to be transplanted during its semi-dormant season, which is from about uh, November on up until about February or so. With with the potential for hot weather right around the corner, I'd be a little reluctant to try to transplant it this late. That's something I put off till next fall, and uh, got you off the hook for doing a lot of hard work here. I'd I'd say mid to late summer on the amaryllis, into the fall to winter months on the pomegranate.
13: Okay, what do you think about tilting the tilting it out of the pot, which I have not done, to see how whether it would be, separ- be uh, able to separate that tree from the side where it is, um, maybe more easily, according to Howard's soak it and separate it and try mm-hmm. having the pot ready. What do you
2: do? You think that would work, Ross? I would. I would do it very gently. Um, if you find that it's rooted into the soil underneath, then I don't. You no, know, don't jar it around too much because you really don't want to rip those roots up. On the other hand, if it has not rooted into the soil underneath, then you might consider getting somebody to you know dig a hole and just set that whole basket a little bit further down or maybe just mound up some dirt around the basket so that that plant can you know develop some good roots over the next few months but i'm afraid that if this is you know over a foot tall and looking really good you're probably going to find it's rooted into the ground pretty well and i really wouldn't want to disturb that too much
13: it's not rooted into the ground because I brought the pot in for the winter. I've been moving oh, okay. it around
2: because I didn't want the yeah.
13: amaryllis to freeze. So everything's not dormant, but uh, yeah. it it is not rooted into the ground. I know that
2: much. Well, then, then it's you know sort of uh, up to you. Is this a real heavy-duty wire basket, or is it starting to no, rust away and a fall apart? Basket.
13: It's in the plastic, old 10 inch that used to be the flimsy old kind of Ah, okay. I mean, just disintegrating apart, you know, type thing. It's just sitting there, but I moved it in because I didn't want yeah, either one yeah. of them to I, freeze. I
2: understand you know? now. Oh, what I would do then, Joyce, is uh, I would take your heavy shears and I would cut away the remnants of that plastic and I'll break
13: it away. It's so brittle. Yeah.
2: Well, do that, and uh just you know transplant that as a whole wherever you would like to have that uh dwarf pomegranate in the long run. Go ahead and move the whole shooting match out there and put it you know into the ground and uh then this summer, you can go separate the amaryllis bulbs back away from it but uh oh. the sooner that pomegranate gets into the ground, the better but uh and again, if they just sort of fall away then that's fine but i don't think uh i don't think i would really try to physically separate the amorous realist bulbs at this point if they just fall away that's fine and then you can just uh you know pot up that whole clump and then divide them later this summer but if they all seem to be kind of attached together just just transplant the whole thing into the place okay. that you would like to have the dwarf pomegranate long term if it turns out that that is place is just really too hot and too sunny for the amaryllis then you can just put up a little you know three by three foot square of shade cloth to say shade that one side where the amaryllis are up until the appropriate time to separate them away which is going to be in the summer months does that make sense okay
13: Absolutely, yeah, I think that will be the best way to go on that because I do I'd like to keep both. I don't want to lose either one of them. Well, okay, let's just subjects on you real quick. And that is the old the the wild little tiny yellow bloom oxalis. Is oxalis uh, a legume at all that it would benefit to cut it off rather than to pull it out of the ground when I don't want it?
2: It is a legume. Whether <laughs> you know it's got good qualities and bad qualities and you have to weigh those two it is loosening the soil it grows in soil that's too hard packed for anything else to grow just like clover does so it's it's helping the soil on the other hand it not only makes seeds it then i'm sure you've squeezed those little pods and watched them pop open and throw the seed two feet away it is an invasive weed but everything's a weed somewhere in the world so um it's just a Question of is its weedy quality enough that you really would tend not to cultivate it, or you can improve the soil, allowing it to grow, and then just deal with the fact that it's trying to, as they say, uh, you know, giving it give a weed an inch and it'll take a yard, your yard. Um, So it's yeah, it's it's beneficial, and uh, the only negative side of it is just that it can be invasive, and you just have to decide which wins out.
13: Okie doke. I'll do that. And the last quickie is I have a variegated dwarf chef Lara that's about 15 inches tall. I uh-huh. want to keep it small and compact. And it's got about a six inch center that wants to go straight up. And I'm going to take that out. And to keep it down to the the level I want, where it'll uh-huh. make a nice little bushy, will that uh, root, or should I take maybe a three-inch little cutting to root, or does it have to be a, a,
2: a an air layer? An air layer would be a hundred percent successful. Rooting it, you don't want to do it while it's an active growth. You need to wait probably until the summer months when that when that growth spurt slows down because right now that new growth is really soft and tender and it really would not root very well for you. So um if you want you can do an air layer at any time and that's got about a ninety-nine percent chance of success. Taking it as a cutting in July or August, you've got also a high degree of success. But you are wise to keep size in mind because one of the places Roberta and I dined down uh, in South Padre last week, they had a Dwarf chefler that was about six feet tall and about five feet wide. They, they grow these things as hedges when you get down to the areas they don't freeze. So it's going to try to grow very, very large for you. So uh, when and how you cut it back is totally up to you. But you will want to do some pruning if you don't have room for it to get
0: big.
13: Yeah, I want to keep it in a pot. And now, another real shorty a dwarf papaya. I have two two foot dwarf papayas that I had that I managed to save out of the seed I would planted. I'm uh-huh. going to plant them out in the yard knowing full well that the freeze next winter will take them out, but that's okay. I don't want to try to keep them in pots. How big will they get in San Antonio?
6: Not?
2: What <laughs> what you're probably looking at, you know, there there's not really a papaya that is advertised as a dwarf papaya, but there's a Mexican well, papaya... Painful. Yeah, it's, there's the Mexican form, and then there's the so-called Hawaiian form, and, uh, Yeah, it, uh, those are the sweetest, best things in the world. They it, it wants to grow. It'll start producing fruit when it's about five feet tall. The biggest ones I've ever seen of that variety are probably six or seven feet tall. Whereas a Mexican papaya can grow 20 feet tall, but uh, oh, yeah. somewhere, but somewhere between uh, four and seven feet is what it wants to be, and it'll start producing fruit when it's about between four and five feet tall.
13: Okay okay well i'm just going to give it a shot i had several i managed to save two through the freezes
2: so we'll see just for funsies well we actually planted some of the flower beds here at shades of green one year and uh and they produced real nice papayas. Unfortunately, somebody decided they needed them better more than we did, and stole them off the plants one day. So you you plant them somewhere where nobody can see them from the street. <laughs> they're just they're wonderful things to have, Joyce, and you know that. And you if if you've got a place you can get them out in a sunny spot, uh, by the time it gets cold next winter, you should be enjoying some papayas and able to save some more seed then.
13: Well, son is a problem, but we're going to give it a shot. Bob, thank you so very much. I do so appreciate your chatting with me.
2: Well, it's always a pleasure to hear from you. You have a uh, wonderful Sunday, and I'll look forward to the next time we get together. Thank, thank you. Thank you, you too, so much. Bye. Thank you. Bye. All right, uh holding on just a second, James and John. We'll get to you as soon as we get a break out of the way here on KTSA.
0: South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071.
2: All right, straight back to the phone lines. can be James and then John. Good morning, James.
15: Hey, good morning, Bob.
2: Good morning, sir. Can you
15: hear me? Good
2: Loud morning. and clear. Loud and clear.
15: Hey, I'm, I'm glad I could get in. I couldn't get in last week. Okay, Two questions. I've got, I picked up a 4-inch pot of cilantro a couple of months ago and put mm-hmm. it in a, an 8-inch small pot because I didn't know how big it would get. Well, it's outgrown, this container. My question <laughs> is, it's about 18 inches tall, and it's blooming, and it's getting woody. I assume that's normal. I didn't know what to expect. Um, once it's starting to put on the little white flowers, uh, can you still harvest it or just let it go? Should I cut it back?
2: Uh, Oh, you can, yeah, uh, by all means, harvest it and enjoy it. That's the problem with most varieties of cilantro is that they bolt when we start getting into the longer days and the warmer weather. And once they've started doing that, they're not going to put on any more of the leaves or or certainly not many of the leaves that you harvest and use for all those wonderful things we use cilantro for. So at this point, uh, harvest and enjoy, but just realize that it's, it's coming to the end of its normal life cycle.
15: Okay, excuse me one second. Hey, stop it! That's my border collie digging a whole sidewalk. <laughs> <up. laughs>
2: <laughs> well my Sorry. lab's a little beyond that she's 15 now but uh um uh, uh, yeah that's it, one of the one of the few downsides of having a good dog is uh is they want to do a little gardening too but uh no cilantro uh, if you want to keep it going as long as possible give it a little shade it hates the really hot hot afternoon sun but uh uh, just just harvest and enjoy Just realize that it's getting toward the season I always tell people When your cilantro dies It's time to plant basil When your basil dies It's time to plant cilantro So we're getting close to the end of cilantro season So enjoy it while it lasts
15: Okay, so you cut out there a little bit But that's my Wi-Fi on my phone So is it treated as an annual? So once it bolts It's yeah. pretty much going to be done?
2: That's right and it's it's a okay. cool it's a cool weather annual rather than a warm weather annual you can plant more and again do it in a shady area and good soil and you will get some harvestable material but um you know its real season is from about october you know on through the winter months if it doesn't get just terribly cold that's when you're going to get your best quality
15: okay i learned a lot cuz i didn't know much of anything other than eat it how to eat it
2: Okay, <laughs> Go ahead. I told ahead. you about
15: my, my August Beauty Gardenia, um, which I bought several years ago. It was on a clearance. Half day when I got it, but it, it's thrived, and it's in full bloom right now. Good. And uh, It's in like a half whiskey barrel, a little smaller than that container, and it's real root-bound, but it's beautiful, except it's showing chlorosis on uh, the new growth. So I picked up this Job's Organics. I went and grabbed the bag during the break, and it's uh-huh. uh, sulfur. 30% sulfur. I yeah. sprinkle a little of that on there, just sprinkled a little bit around it in the container about a month ago. It seemed to help. But on yeah. the bag, it says for established plants, uh, for the size, it says we use one and a half cups. Now, but it shows it, it, like for plants in the ground. This is in a container. Right. So how much right. can I put on there to green it up without harming the gardenia? Um,
2: heavy salt and pepper. About uh, you know what you would do with seasoning food, don't overdo it. And next time, look for a product called Azomite, A-Z-O-M-I-T-E. It has the widest range of micronutrients. When you get that yellowing, it's most commonly iron, but it can also be a deficiency of zinc, of manganese. There, are lots of different things that can cause that yellowing. And gardenias, you know, they're 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 picky. They want a lot of different micronutrients in there. And uh, but with what you have, again, you could do it about. About once a month but just kind of like your salt and peppering uh, you know, vegetable on the table and uh, next time you buy it, in fact in addition uh, there, there are no negatives uh, with the azomite you might get a little bit of that in the ad. The big problem with sulfur is in the heat it's converted to a very toxic substance called sulfur dioxide where I spent some years growing up in East Tennessee there's an area that's like many square miles where they had copper smelters that the sulfur dioxide that came off of that killed. Every blade of any living thing. I worked with some guys from the Oak Ridge National Labs because they figured this was the closest thing they were ever going to find to a nuclear detonation site. And one of the few things they found wow. that were growing there was kudzu. But that's, that's a bit of a, a, a you know, jaunt off to the side. But, uh, the real problem is, uh, you know, is the sulfur in there becoming sulfur dioxide, which will defoliate the plants if you get too much of it. So just use it lightly. Use it a little more frequently and uh, maybe just dust a thin layer of compost on top of the uh, fertilizer when you put it down.
4: Wow, it, the plant
15: is so thick and full with stems and branches, it's even hard to, to salt and pepper
2: it. <laughs> well, pat so yourself cool. on the back. You you get a, a yeah. double blue ribbon for growing a gardenia that well. And uh, August Beauty is a great choice. And you're also proving a point that I try to make frequently to people, and that is it does not hurt a plant to be root-bound. Most plants are much happier when they're root-bound than when they're over-potted. So um, when it gets to the point that you just can't, keep that gardenia adequately watered then move that pot size up you know by a couple of inches or something like that but uh uh, your plant is just a you know picture a poster child for how good it is to have a root bound plant
15: I don't think I will be able to step it up into a bigger pot because it's going to be too heavy, that root ball. I guess I'm just going to let it run run its course. um,
2: Well, again, the only only downside is the more root-bound it becomes, the faster it uses moisture. So uh, you may be watering it daily when we get into the hot summer months, but it's worth it to get a pretty gardenia. I
15: I already am watering it every day, even though it's an afternoon shade. Yeah, Yeah. it's so root-bound. But it's doing great. And well. uh, lastly, lastly, and uh, knock on wood, I don't want to change anything. My tomato plants look the best they've looked in three, four, five years. So Yes, sir. So hopefully everybody else's are looking good, too.
2: Most peoples are, and my advice to you is whatever you're doing, just keep doing it. Mother Nature's helped us out with some reasonable temperatures and with some... Uh, a good natural rainfall in most areas so uh um, things things you know tomatoes look almost as good this year as they look bad last year so you enjoy oh, it wow. while it lasts because ultimately it will change but uh whatever you're doing just keep it up and and you may get to where you're watering that gardenia morning and evening but it's certainly worth the effort
12: all
15: right thank you so much appreciate it
2: my, it's my pleasure james thank you for the call um yeah jimmy let's go and take the one more call let's go ahead and talk to john before we take a break good morning john morning bob morning i've
1: got a bunch of ashes
3: out here i lost a lot of oaks that winter uh freeze Uh uh-huh I
10: and so i burned them and i have this ash out here is that any good for the garden
2: no sir. Uh, I guess a very, very small amount uh you know I were burn uh have wood stoves in my home, and uh just a small amount that the ash is extraordinarily alkaline, and our soils are already you know very alkaline and and last thing we want to do is is drop that pH uh, or make that pH even higher so a, a small amount of it is very high in potassium, which is good, but we very seldom have potassium. Deficiency. so if you want to pick a picky windy day and stand uh, you know in the garden and just pitch a bit of it up in the air and let it make a very very fine coating um that's okay but don't be don't be taking buckets of it and spreading spreading it around because uh, it'll have a bad effect rather than a good effect
3: all righty that's what i needed to find out
2: Well, good question. I'm glad you asked. Uh, The good thing is that, you know, all the different minerals that were in those trees is present in that ash. The bad thing is that it's just so highly alkaline that most of them are in a form the plants couldn't get to, even if you put them in the garden. So uh, just use it very sparingly, and you'll be just fine with it. All right, sir. I appreciate it. You're day. welcome, John. You do the same, sir. Thank you so much. All right, Jimmy. Well, uh while other folks grab a line, 210-599-5555. Let's get the commercials done, and we'll be right back.
0: South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster, News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071
2: all right back to gardening kind of winding the show down here about 10 minutes left then Dr. Kirby will be in and we'll have an hour to talk about your pet's health but uh we'll talk to Yolanda and Celso and see if we have time for more good morning Yolanda hi Yolanda are you here
14: hello Mr. Worcester good morning
2: good morning Uh, to you I
14: love your program sir (laughs) well thank you
2: it's my great pleasure
14: Thank you, sir. There is a large area in my house. We used to have a deck, and we removed it. And rather than planting grass, I was reading an article about replacing uh, planting creeping thyme instead of grass. What do you think about that?
2: Well, it all depends on, you know, how you plan to use that area. There's no there's there there are a lot of different ground covers that would be very pretty in there and certainly lower maintenance uh than having grass in there, but most of them are not something you could really walk on or, you know, use if you want to have a picnic table or something like that out there. So, um it's it's up to you. Remember that anything that you Plant you will have to have water to maintain it um, if you just wanted to have a maintenance free area that you could still use for whatever, I would probably tend to go with just a layer of decayed granite or something like that. But if you want to have something green out there um, put some put some flagstones or something like that in so you could still walk through the area but then if you want to plant a ground cover around it uh, that's fine now what what was the plant that you were reading about? Creeping thyme. Oh, creeping thyme. If it's really sunny, um, you can certainly grow creeping thyme uh, really very easily. I think English thyme might be a little easier, but uh, thyme is is a very, you know, easy plant to grow if you have lots of sun. Um, It's going to get, it's not going to be real close to the ground. It's going to get about six to eight inches tall uh so like i say you would want to have some flagstones or something to walk on but uh it's you know certainly a good fragrant hearty herb deer don't eat it bugs don't eat it it's about as trouble-free as uh as you get you will have to water periodically but i would look real carefully at where that deck was you need to have sun for at least six to eight hours a day for creeping time to really do well
14: okay um uh- Thank you. Let me ask you real fast. I know you answered this question a thousand times, but I missed
2: it. (laughs) Then a thousand and one needs to be answered. (laughs) Go right ahead. (laughs) Compost. I need
14: compost in my front lawn. Uh, My maintenance man said to ask that it's probably too hot to put it on, but I don't think so. What kind of compost do I use?
2: you do not want biosolids compost you want a good what we call a manure compost and it's just i I try to stop using the compost when the temperature gets into the upper 80s and 90s Uh, right now we're having beautiful weather and uh Maybe he just doesn't want to work that hard. But uh, I think you're still okay if for the next probably two or three weeks. After that, we'll kind of have to watch and see what the weather does. But uh, I would not hesitate to put uh, compost on at this point. But just ask for a good manure-based or vegetable-based compost. Uh, you, you you don't want biosolids, but any of the others will be just fine. Do water it or have him or her water it after it's applied, because there are a lot of things in the compost. Compost that if you have if you have the moisture to carry them down in the ground it 's very, very beneficial that's one thing is it gets hotter, a lot of those things just you know go into the air and go away, so uh, this time of year it's very important to water after you put compost down. but uh, I think you've still got at least another couple of weeks of good time to apply compost.
14: wonderful, thank you, Mr. Wester. You have a very nice weekend.
2: Well, you do the same, and um, if if you want to try a ground cover in that area where you had the deck and you don't have enough uh, sun for creeping time, there are things like Asiatic jasmine and dwarf monkey grass that would also be beautiful in there so I, I love the time and it 's a great plant and uh, been known to go out and harvest a bit of it to uh, mix in with the scrambled eggs in the mornings that i I get to eat before I come to work so it's a great thing <laughs> to have, but if you don't have enough if you don't have enough sun for it look at asian jasmine dwarf monkey grass or one of the vinca vinca major or vinca minor there's some other very pretty things you could put in there but in any event be sure you have some stones to walk on rather than stepping directly on the plants and you call me anytime you have questions yolanda it's always a pleasure visiting with you
14: thank
2: you very much sir you're welcome thank you goodbye all right Celso is next good morning Celso. good morning good morning sir I'm just... Uh... Uh,
12: go ahead. I, uh, no, no, you I, go I right ahead. In, I raised strawberries in Poteet, and actually in Pleasanton. Yes, sir. In my center, we raised strawberries, and we take your advice, and we listen to, to your information, and appreciate it. At the Poteet Strawberry Festival this year, we didn't get grand champion, but we did get first place and third place in our variety.
2: Congratulations, so Congratulations! You,
12: you know fertilizer stored out there in the I wanted to thank you guys because of what you guys help us with, and I well, really appreciate
2: it. You know, it's our great pleasure. Are you the gentleman that uh, brought us a few of those award-winning berries last year?
12: Yes, sir. And I apologize because I didn't get a chance to get some this year because I, wasn't well, very busy. You I, mean, I was
2: You just you're swamped. You're you're a thoughtful to you. man to even take care of you next year. <laughs> You're a thoughtful man to even take the time to call and uh I, I again uh big congratulations from us for doing it right and uh uh that's just always good to hear. I'm sure Stuart's uh, probably may, well he may be at church. He may not be listening right now, but uh when that's I talk to him great. this week if you don't get a chance to talk to him I'll pass your thanks along to him.
12: We had the hardest year ever in my career. I've been doing this for 50 years. Yeah, this was the hardest year because of the freeze, and then we got swamped with the deer. So we replanted over thirteen thousand plants, and we finally got a crop. And uh, I think we did pretty good considering what we went through. But
2: uh, I was going to say the it sounds.
12: Your variety is not bad.
2: Well you uh you know to overcome those kind of odds and still get the awards that you got uh you, you get the gold star, you're the best strawberry grower I've ever known, so you keep up the good work
12: well and, and i I'd like to invite you guys next year you're welcome to visit our place and and check it out and get some uh, strawberries from us
2: well, I would so love we'll, to we'll do see
12: you it give information hopefully. I know it's hard. I know you've got a tough schedule, and but uh, I invite you guys right now for next year.
2: Well, I appreciate that. Our, our problem is that strawberry season is the busiest time of year in our business, so uh, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll still do our best to maybe stop by if we get to get away sometime. But, uh, again, congratulations on what you've done, and you just keep up the good work. We'll look forward to next year, well, and maybe you get Super Grand Champion next year.
12: We've got to get it next year. We've got to get it. But uh, thank you for your help and thanks for your support and your knowledge. And we always listen to you guys. So, have so, a great so
2: day, sir. I appreciate it so much. Thank you for the call this morning. It means a lot. Have a great okay. Day. Thank you, sir. You too. Goodbye. But Jimmy, I guess that wraps it up for calls. Yes, so. sir. All right. Well, got about three minutes here. I see Dr. Kirby wandering around out there, so be thinking if you have any questions about your pet's health. In fact, you can probably go ahead and grab a line if you like, and because uh, we'll be, Dr. Kirby will be on right after our news break. Again, thanks so much for joining me for gardening today, and I sure hope you're going to get to spend a lot of the day outside. Wear that sunscreen. Wear that big hat, as my dermatologist would uh, tell you. So uh, it is going to be a great day for gardening. It's a good time for putting out beneficial nematodes, because most of us do have some good moisture in the soil. Uh, some of us have a lot of moisture in the soil, but it's a great time if you're fighting fleas, if you're fighting grub worms, if you're fighting fire ants. Those are all good reasons that uh, beneficial nematodes would, would be a good idea. And uh, if you haven't fertilized in the past 90 days, think about putting out some good organic fertilizer as well. Fertilizer isn't used instantly. It's not just overnight available to your plants. It needs to be processed by the microbes in the soil, so that's why It's uh, important to get it on because your plants are just now moving into their most active season of growth, and they really do need the the good organic nutrition. So I give you lots of things to do outside. Uh, uh, Again, (laughs) it's not really, I guess, the early spring flowering plants, the Indian hawthorn, spirea, uh, mountain laurels, things like that, that have just finished their spring flowering. If they need to be pruned, this is the time of year you want to do it. Because uh, they bloomed on last year's growth. If you have climbing roses, uh, they may or may not be through with their spring bloom, but wait until after they've done their blooming because prune climbers too early, then uh, you lose out on a lot of flowers. Your bush roses, just let them grow, B- let them bloom, enjoy it. Remember when you take off the spent blooms, or if you're harvesting uh, roses to bring inside, put in a vase inside, don't just cut right at the base of the bloom. Go a little ways down the stem, go down to where at least you find that little five leaflet uh leave starting because that way uh they can put out more very, very strong blooms. And most of the bush roses that you get, especially the old fashioned varieties grown on their own roots, they are re-bloomers. So, uh, just, just prune the old, uh, prune the old flowers off, deadhead them, as we say. And if you're looking for fun things to plant, check out some of the, some of the new forms of Angelonia, some of the new Pentas. They're just an awful lot of things to do. So enjoy it and stick around for your pet's health here on KTSA Radio.